What is up, everybody? This is Burke Reviews Movie Club, episode number 19. Um, I'm John Burke. With me this week is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And uh, a second-time guest, Brendan. How are you this evening? This is me. I'm doing well. So we are, uh, we've been hitting up some of the Charlie Kaufman uh, written films. Um, we saw Being John Malkovich, and Corey, for the first time, saw Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And so uh, we are tackling Brendan's favorite movie, if I'm not mistaken. One of my favorites, definitely. I don't know if I would declare it outright my all-time favorite, but definitely one of the top. And that is? Synecdoche, New York. Which is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Kaufman's first um, directorial debut. Yes. And then uh, his fourth or fifth uh, screenplay. Um, And so we'll be getting into that review. It will be uh, comprehensive in a little bit. But first... Um, Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm not going to say that incorrectly this week. Ah, very nice. Grammar matters. Especially after all your midterms and stuff, you, you should be on top of it. Yes, no more school. Woo! Now, aside from Synecdoche, New York, have you seen anything uh, recently? I also watched Hell or High Water recently. Oh, you did? She I did. did. And? I enjoyed it. it. I told John I have a really hard time. Growing up with Ben Foster being in um, Flash Forward and then seeing him in these like crazy roles sometimes. I don't know. I know he's an adult now, you but know, it's I just so weird. I didn't remember that show until you sent me the weird little, uh, the opening intro of the show. I was like, okay, this looks familiar. I had no yeah. idea what it was when you said it. And in fact, more so, I was confused because of when okay. you said it. Because there are three different actors that are featured in that movie and I didn't know which of the three you were talking about. So I was like, who's in Flash Forward? I'm trying to think. Is like Jeff Bridges in Fast Forward? Um, <laughs> yep. But then, yeah, I saw Ben Foster's very identifiable. He has not changed much in, in way of appearance uh, since that I show. Just... But, um, yeah, Hell or High Water, what, what, good, bad? What do you think? I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, oh. I think um, <laughs> there was one part I had to pause it and walk away for a few minutes because it went, like, zero to 100 real fast. Uh, and I was just like, mm, I don't know if I like where this is going to go. I need a second to breathe. Uh, and then I came back and, yeah, it went down how I thought. Yeah. And, yeah, that was no, sad. No spoilers, though, for this because that's nope. not our episode. Um, I, I do have to point out, though, um, Jeff Bridges and this cowboy character, uh, I think the Coens broke him when they had him play it in True Grit because he kind of reprised that cowboy character in R.I.P.D., which nobody saw. Oof. And R.I.P.D. <laughs> And that, that was that a bad? It's R.I.P. It's it's Men in Black <laughs> uh, with um with Jeff Bridges as a cowboy and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, basically, it's instead of aliens, they're hunting ghosts. I think is yeah, the premise. Yeah, the best I could say about it is that it was not god awful. Yeah, no, it had moments, but it's it's you know redundant premise and it's not great. But then and then he's obviously the cowboy again in A Hell or High Water. And then I'm trying to remember what movie I just saw that he's going to be in again where he looks like he's playing a cowboy. I just saw the trailer like a night ago and I cannot remember what it is. But if I, if I recall, I will say, but I think he's really latched on to this cowboy uh, character of his, which is not bad. He's good at it, but it's it's reminiscent. It, it's worrying me of Johnny Depp and the pirate. Well, he got nominated for Crazy Heart. Oh, yep. Like, Forgot about Crazy you know, Heart. Yep. Another cowboy. cowboy musician. So, is it Granite Mountain? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. It doesn't sound like something I would want to see because the movie <laughs> looked like something I wanted to see. And okay. um, I, but then I was like, oh, Bridges in it, and I was like, he looks like he's playing a cowboy again. Um, I could hear the voice, you know, like he doesn't speak in the trailer, but I could hear it. You know what I'm saying? Like he's got that delivery when he's in the cowboy mode that is very distinct, and I could hear it. And I'm waiting for it in the movie. What was man? I cannot recall what that was. Um, but I saw King Arthur, um, The Legend of the Sword last night. 
Oh yeah, what were your Thank thoughts? Thank you for on contributing. That? Um, yeah, Corey. Corey has that in the draft, uh, so I'm helping her. I, I don't think you're gonna get a lot of points from it. Um, I don't think I'm gonna win at all. But, uh, but I, I actually was. I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't say I love it. It's not great. I was really impressed with Charlie Hunnam, which is not something I thought I would say. Um, I've heard good things. Uh, Anthony and Colin got to see it through a GoFobo screening. Yeah, I had had tickets to that, and Brandon, I just didn't get to go. Yeah, so Um, they enjoyed it. Uh, Anthony enjoyed it overwhelmingly, So, but Colin was a little more reserved, but still enjoyed it. I I thought the he, he Guy Ritchie went a little overboard with the CG. That was my only like, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just thought like I would have liked it more of like like Sherlock Holmes fight sequences in the first movie, where it's slow mo but it's very grounded and there's like a you know because that's he he made King Arthur kind of gritty, um, which I found compelling and especially it's reminiscent of his other movies where it's like a, a guy from the streets trying to make it and that's the take on Arthur and it's really compelling um, and Hunnam I thought nailed it which I didn't expect because you know he's he's fine in Pacific Rim I guess like, and then, <laughs> you, yeah. in Crimson Peak he's really bland um, Marco we're drift compatible <laughs> yeah yes. um, but with Arthur man I, I think he might have found his, his niche and you know, there's potential for sequels because they don't go too deep into the lore. Like, they just kind of start. And it's definitely Richie's interpretation of the lore. It's not going to be canon. And so, P- purists might, you know, Arthur freaks. and I don't Is that a thing? I don't even know. I saw Sword in the like, Stone when I was a kid. Probably not. Yeah. I guess maybe <laughs> some, like, old literarians. Liter- literarians? Is that a thing? They like literature? Librarians? Maybe some librarians who are really into the <laughs> books are going to be like, shh, that was a librarian joke. Because that's all they say. All right. So that was, uh, I saw that and that's pretty much it. I've been busy um, with everything the last month. School's almost out and it doesn't, it feels insane um, because I don't know what happened to April. Uh, I feel like April didn't exist because I was so busy in April between the film festival um, and then the Star Wars celebration. My daughter's turning 13. Like it was just like everything happened. Um, How did that happen? Oh, it's insanity. Trust me. Um, She's at, a little like teeny bopper type club thing for the second week in a row, you know, just her and her friends. It's, you know, like 13 to 18, but it still gives me severe anxiety and heartburn. Oh, no. So um, I had, I have some of my students are there and I was like, you watch my daughter, you make sure nothing happens to her. You and, should ask them to intermittently uh, Snapchat you. Well, when I pulled up on. tonight, uh, one of them made eye contact with me and I made eye contact with him and he pointed at his eyes and then pointed at her and thumbs up. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's the kid. So, you know, I hope she's good. But um, yeah, so uh, I am planning on seeing Snatched at some point. Oh. Yeah, that's still how I feel. Although I have oh, to say no. uh, Battleship Pretension, who is a podcast and website that I am a big fan of and not always find myself in agreement, but often, more often than not, which is one of the reasons I, I listen to the podcast so regularly, um, he definitely didn't say it was good, but, you know, said it's fine. It's solid. You know, it, it, it does what it's trying to do, and it's still going to come down to taste, and that's where I'm, I'm not sure if I can take another Amy Schumer movie at this point. Um, I do feel like she's she's taken her one style of joke and has beaten it to the ground, and I think yeah, everybody's kind of tired of her, so have to see yeah i would say my interest level for that movie is non-existent (laughs) i will definitely not watch it now or ever oh wow that's that's super i i'm looking mainly just to get a review on the site for it and that's i feel more obligation in that regard but um i feel repulsion (laughs) i (laughs) i was actually surprised at how edgy some of the trailers have been on tv 
Um, like there's one where she's uh, about to clean herself in the bathroom and like I know and her legs like up on the sink and then like the guy sees her through the door and then like they talk about it too. It's not like you can just no, we'll just pass it off. The next scene is like it looked like you were cleaning your uh, your vagina and I'm just like oh that's that's on regular cable now. Okay, I guess like. Is that, that rated R or PG thirteen? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's got to be R though, right? Like, could can she do PG thirteen? Like, I feel like her presence That's bumps it to an R. <laughs> I feel like automatically, regardless of the rating, it's going to be awful. If it's PG thirteen, I I don't know how she could like. Sw- it's R. It's R. Goldie Hawn not doing a movie for over a decade, and then mm-hmm. she comes back to do this. It's... She says this. So incomprehensible. Before we get into the trailer talk, I do have to ask Brendan if you've seen anything recently that you want to mention. Um, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Oh. Um, I felt severely underwhelmed by it. Um, it was enjoyable on first pass, I thought, but the more I sat with it and dwelt upon it, the worse I felt about it. And I did see it more than once. I saw it twice, so I feel like I gave it a fair shot, but ultimately to me it was inconsequential and it was it tried too hard i i loved it but i did only see it once and i gotta say my second viewing of um guardians the first one which i've watched a while back i liked the second viewing but i didn't love it as much as i remembered loving it in the theater so i don't know i don't know how much i want to rewatch the second one um because i don't want to tarnish it because i did i had a i had a fun time um, and I, the funny thing, um, I've heard most people say it's not as good as the first, but I've heard a few critics who, uh, are praising it above the first. Um, obviously it's, it's hit like 67, I think is where it balanced out on Metacritic. But, um, you know, a few critics are, are saying it's, it's, you know, more character development and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there is definitely more character development, um, for some of the characters. And then there's new characters introduced that have no character development. But if they follow the framework of the first movie, they will have much character development in the third movie um, because there's several characters that were introduced in the first film that we didn't really get to know, but we uh, we got to know in the second film. Corey, did you see it? No, and uh, I really want to. I did watch it again recently-ish, a couple weeks first ago, one? getting ready. Yeah, yeah okay. the first one, sorry. Um, I tend to do that when a sequel comes out, and I did enjoy it, and I still teared up a couple times, so just like God, guys. Oh, you're going to cry the the second one. Um, So, let's get into trailer talk. These are movies that are going to be coming out on May 19th. Uh, we have three movies that we're looking at that are going to be um, coming out. We're gonna we're gonna jump into the one that I'm the most apprehensive to discuss, and that is everything everything um, from 2017. Obviously, I don't know why I bothered to say the date. That just was a, whole, a habit. Um, directed by Stella. Oh boy, Maggie. <laughs> Mikhai. I'm not sure. Um, I apologize <laughs> if you're listening, Stella. Uh, the plot on summary show. on IMDb is a teenager who lived in a shelter. Uh, who lives? Wait, a teenager who's lived a sheltered life. Because she's allergic to everything, uh, this sounds even worse when you read it, uh, falls for the boy who uh, moves in next door. Um, okay, so I'm not going to lie. I saw this trailer, I think, when I saw Table 19 um, with my daughter, and we were both like, eh, it looks okay. Like, I could see uh, I could see this. I, I, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not a- against the romance. Um, I'm not against melodrama. And I don't recall liking uh, The Boy in the Bubble with John Travolta. I did like Bubble Boy. Wait, with Jake Gyllenhaal? No, that's Bubble Boy. Oh, you're talking about the old Boy in the. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not Boy, Boy in the, the bubble. bubble. Is it Boy in the Plastic Bubble? It's something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's Travolta, and it's it's from yeah. the '70s. I didn't. I don't recall liking that when I saw it. I did like Bubble Boy. Very different movie. Um, 
but everything, everything, definitely a little bit on the melodramatic side. Uh, two teenage love story, you know. Um, oh, my dog's barking because I think my wife is home. But, uh, Corey, what are your thoughts on everything, everything? No. No? That's not a thought. <laughs> no, no. I, as soon as you said melodrama, I was just <laughs> absolutely steeped in it. And, oh my gosh, I just can't. Why can't? Explain why you can't. It just looks so cheesy. It looks like too much. Oh, these teenage kids, they run away from her mom and her house. And he, you know, rents an expensive sports car or something and takes her to the ocean. I'm just like, come on. Now, yes. what if I tell That's you all in the trailer. that they go teenage Bonnie and Clyde and on a killing spree? No? Okay. Doesn't I, happen. It, it doesn't happen. happen at all. But I'm just saying, you <laughs> never know. Um, maybe she, maybe her disease is infectious. And she starts spreading. zombie plague. Um, there's all sorts of ways that this could go, but um, I don't know. I'm not opposed to the cheesy romance. Um, in fact, I find it's life so often. It. Well, the cheese though, even like life is so. I am cynical so much of the time that a movie that is so hopelessly happy, or at least like this feeling of maybe there is a chance. Sometimes I need that. Like, okay, just to, but he sees this girl through her window, and he's like. I think you're beautiful. And yeah, it's great. all based on looks. It's, it's completely from the true. outset established by like the, the chronology of the trailer. Yep. It's all going through looks and then they start communicating. He gives her his phone number by writing it on glass or on a, I don't know, picket sign. <laughs> yeah. However the hell they communicate with each other. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm not saying it looks realistic, but, uh, and of course that is when you word it in the way you just did. Um, it definitely, uh, it's everything. It's everything. Everything. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it ruins everything, but it definitely, you don't want to encourage this type of one. There's a lot of questions. Like, why can't he get a normal girlfriend? Like, not that she's not normal, but I mean, like, why does he have to meet a girl through a window who can't come outside? Like, why? She's that? like, I've never seen the ocean. And then they go to the... A, pic, a bunch yeah. of pictures of the ocean. No, no, no. They go to the ocean, oh. and she's wearing a swimsuit, and he's like, oh, it's too small. And it's like... Oh, I didn't see that part. total body <laughs> shot of her out of two tiny big or bikini or whatever swimsuit she's wearing busting out of it. It's like everything, everything. Yeah. I really wish my dog would stop barking. I don't know what's going on out there. Um, all right. So I, I am still probably going to see it. And even if I thought it looked completely awful, which again, I'm admitting it looks cheesy. So I'm not denying that. No way. Am I trying to say, Oh, this is going to be the movie. No, I just tend to like these kind of cheesy coming of age stories regardless. Um, although I've seen a few now that I hated. The strange ones. I'm looking at you. But um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul, is another movie coming out next week. Um, this movie has stirred up tons of controversy because this is a recasting of a franchise. So everybody's new. Um, and the biggest one was the uh, the older brother, Roderick, um, is recast. And people hated him. And there was a, a big Not My Roderick um, meme thing going on. Did you guys see that a few months back? No. This trailer's been out for a while. And it, uh, if you Google Not My Roderick... I'm sure you can find tons of memes of people, and some are mean. Like, some have really hated on this kid. Um, his name's Charlie Wright, who's playing Roderick now. Um, and this is the recasting. We got Alicia Silverstone playing the mother, uh, who I haven't seen in a good minute. Um, Tom Everett Scott playing Frank, who made his, uh, I feel like, his film resurgence Shades. in La La Land. I don't know what Chains is. Oh, Shades. Yeah, Shades. I'm sorry. Yes, of course, he's Guy in Shades. 
that thing you do. He was in Dead Man on Campus with Mark Paul Gosling, um, which I, I like that movie as bad as it was. Um, it was one of, I think, MTV's first movies, if I'm not mistaken. And then um, we got Charlie Wright playing Roderick, Jason Drucker playing Greg, and Owen, oh boy, these these names, man. I'm pretty sure his name's Astalis, and that's, oh, no. that's his name. Sounds right. So I don't know if, I have a kid, so I've seen all of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies pre, uh, prior to this one. I don't know if either of you have seen any of them. I think I saw at least one. I know I saw at least one. I hope, hopefully the first one Zero. would be very out of order otherwise. But uh, I, I enjoyed How many the are there up to three? This There's this is three. This will be fourth. Okay. Yep. And I don't know if it's a full reboot or if they're just trying to continue where they left off. Um, it's hard to tell in the trailer because he was getting older and like they had to because the, the same cast is in the first three movies. And I think he was like his voice was cracking in the second movie and he was still supposed to be like in middle school. So, um, you know, that's one of the downsides of casting. Like, I mean, Harry Potter was like 27 in the third when he's like, you know, you're 15, Harry, but you have a full beard. But um, I thought that I would probably never end up watching it, but it didn't actually look half bad. The new one? The new one, yeah. yeah. The trailer. I thought that, you know, if I were a kid, I would definitely want to see it. Yeah. I, I was entertained by the trailer enough to be like, yeah, I could understand. Like, if I had a kid, I would take them to watch that. It would probably be entertaining enough. Corey. Corey's making a face that says no. It makes sometimes there are movies that make me really glad that I don't have children. I feel like that sounds so awful, but this is what. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I mean it seemed as cornball and cliche as everything, everything, but catering to a kid's audience where you're just trying to make a kid laugh by like having the kids jokes and friend put his butt on his face and yeah, yeah. I gotta say, um, by comparison now because I have seen all three of the other ones. Um, the other ones had a variety of humor. Steve Zahn was the dad in the f- yeah, the first okay, three, yeah. um, who I'm a big fan of, uh, which is interesting because it's another That Thing You Do member yep. um, playing the father. So I guess Ethan Embry is up next, Corey. Um, oh, my God. I'll see that one. And uh, the mother is somebody famous, but I can't. She's I know she's in old school. She plays um, in the originals, not old school about? hangover. Uh, yeah. In the originals, um, uh, Rochelle or Rachel Harris played the mother um and then whatever the person everybody loved was uh roderick who was played by devin bostick i think is the, the guy's name um and of course chloe grace moretz is in the first film um really yeah very young chloe grace when was the first one um t- 2010 Whew. um yeah seven years ago so oh my gosh um and i again i like those first three so by comparison i feel like the second this new one feels like a straight to dvd version of those first three just based on the trailer like it the jokes seem much more straightforward and the, the plots have always been kind of straightforward. These are based on a kid's book series. That Calling them books is is a little generous because, yes, they are hardbound and they look like a novel, but essentially they're a comic book, and that's still being generous because there's no color. So it's like black and white panels, uh, very few per page, little text. Um, but it's, you know, it's a good, like, entry-level reading book for kids, and it looks like a novel. You know, they're holding, like, a real book in their hands and – um, so, uh, Taylor read all of those books and so we saw all the movies and she doesn't seem interested, but now she's 13. So she's just at that age too cool, too cool for a kid movie. And, um, you add in that, you know, it's not her rally, you know, it's not her Roderick. It's not her Greg. These are recast and it's noticeable. And I think, you know, hearing my, like my high school kids and, and their brothers and sisters complaints through them. Um, it's yeah. That's the, most of them ha- like the originals, and now they're not interested in this one. I think this movie might flop. Um, 
unless it pulls in a new group of kids. What about Captain Underpants? I've heard, for the I still I have not seen anything about that movie except for a poster. My nephew wants to see that movie so bad. I I've heard he's adults say that. Three years old. I never read Captain Underpants. He's three years old. Yeah, oh, man, because Kevin Hart's the voice. Oh really? Yeah, Kevin oh, Hart's. Yeah. See, yeah. I don't know much about it. It's it's really title. quiet. It comes out in like two months. Yeah. No June. trailer. Or if there is a trailer, I've not seen it. Um, there's posters out, uh, but I even yeah, the first poster I saw was on the back of a Boss movie. Baby poster. It is animated. Yeah. Um, and I never read the book, but I guess it was around when we were kids. And so there are people our age who are excited about it because they've wanted to see this movie since they were kids. Um, so they want to take their kids to see it. So I think Captain Underpants could be a surprise of the summer, um, especially with Kevin Hart attached to it because it will bring in. Uh, oh. But again, the marketing for it sucks. Hold yeah. on. And Jordan Peele and oh, Ed wow. Helms. Yep. Ed Helms is hit or miss. But... And uh, Thomas Middleditch from, really? uh, from yeah. Silicon Valley. Oh, I, I love him. He is he is that have you been watching silicon valley this new season yeah i'm a couple episodes behind Man, but yeah I, i've seen so into that show um it's like the only current show that i'm like actively keeping up with and i i just can't get enough of it i'm like every every week when the the episode ends i'm like really sad because i have to wait another week because it's so funny um kamel nanjani his his new movie coming out of the summer big sick looks fantastic yeah um Written by him and his wife Emily Gordon, so um, I'm excited about that coming out. I'm glad it's getting a big. It looks like it's getting a, a decent release at least. Um, let's get to the big movie of next week though, because those two, everything, everything, and um, uh, I already forgot the other one. <laughs> Diary of Olympic, uh, <laughs> uh, is Alien Covenant. Alien Covenant comes out next week. It is the uh, first official titled Alien movie directed by Ridley Scott since Alien. Um, while we all know now Prometheus was a prequel to Alien of some degree. Um, he denied it was anything to do with the Alien franchise up until the movie came out. And uh, now I've, I've seen a few articles where he's regretting how he handled that. And he also, I think I read recently, he regrets not having the Xenomorphs in Prometheus more or at all. I don't remember Prometheus very well. I loved Prometheus. So I don't know why it got such a bad rap. Corey? C- Corey's on your side. Back me up. I love Prometheus so much. <laughs> so much. Um, I've watched it probably too many times and i've also seen those articles i haven't read them where he's saying that he felt like prometheus was a disappointment and just be quiet ridley scott well ridley scott has had a up and down career to say the least right i mean when we think back on his career the big movies are really old you know alien blade runner series of misses he's had some other hits obviously the martian did really well a couple years ago best comedy golden globe for the martian um you know never let that down Matchstick Men <laughs> is one not uh, to be forgotten, in my opinion. I don't think I've seen Matchstick Men. That's Nicolas Cage, though, right? I haven't either. You haven't seen Matchstick Men? I don't Man? think I've seen Matchstick Men. We're both getting fired from Do your you show, John. Do you in Matchstick Men? Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Sam Rockwell. Oh, that is now has to be on Sold. this podcast. Yeah. Co-star. <laughs> ding, ding, They're ding. like the two leads. <laughs> Sam Rockwell. That's that's on my uh, Rockwell um, gap. I, I've, oh. I've hit most of his big movies, but I've somehow missed Matchstick Men. Um, well, let's uh, Alien Covenant, the crew of a col- uh, colony ship bound for a remote planet, discover an uncharted paradise with a threat beyond their imagination and must attempt a harrowing escape. Uh, whoever's writing these plot summaries on IMDb needs to be replaced. Those are awful. Um, directed by Ridley Scott, we have uh, a man who I sat next to, a man who sat two seats yeah. away from me, Billy Crudup. Uh, I don't know how to say his name anymore. because. Crudup. Is, I'm going with Crudup. Because Crudup. Crudup, they were Crudup. That's all I've ever known. And I'm like, Crudup? Wait. Crudup. And they didn't correct, he didn't correct them. And then I think he even made a joke about how to say his own name. 
Like, it's Crudup, Crudup, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, dude, don't do that. Now I don't know what to say. <laughs> but Billy Crudup, uh, Billy Crudup, I, man, I feel so insecure. Um, Crudup. <laughs> Michael Fassbender, uh, Catherine Watterson, um, Danny McBride, who so far from the trailers is my favorite part of this movie already. Um, and other people I don't know so well. Is anyone I need to mention, guys, that I'm forgetting? Mm. These James all look Franco, like... did you say him? I didn't. Is he in this? Yeah. He's yes. Not, he's uh, not Bill damn High. It, I forgot. He's not going to be in Sorry. this a lot. Or or he'll have a twist because he's not even in the top. I'm excited. There he is. I'm really Oh, he's even listed really as uncredited. Excited. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. He's in the trailer. Oh, he's Guy Pierce is in this. Also as uncredited. And Numi, they must be setting up for the next movie. Numi Rapace. Oh. Because they're all uncredited. They, they have to be setting up for the next the next step. Um, They'll show up somewhere maybe to save the day There's kind of thing. two more already. But she was in, in the, the last one. Yeah, but she lived. They she might be tying that in she together then. at the end. That's how they'll tie it together. They'll probably show up to rescue whoever's not dead. Spoilers. She'll be alive at the beginning and die right away. Uh, or... She's the one that's growing the weed. Dum, dum, dum. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> sh- I don't, don't turn so. people in about that, Corey. It's not legal I'm... everywhere yet. Oh, no, I Some said other... weed. Oh, you said wheat. I live wheat. in Idaho. I'm you surrounded. Said wheat. I'm sorry. Yeah, I in the trailer. Mm. I know, everybody. But I was who, just playing. But who planted it? Actually, I was kind of making a Synecdoche, New York reference because... I don't know if you guys caught on, but every time he goes to a doctor that they say he needs to see another doctor, he always uses it for something else. Like, you should see an opto- optometrist, a neurologist. Then he goes to the optometrist and like, you should see a neurologist. A, a urologist? And it's like, what? What? And I kept waiting for him to go to a urologist after that because he made, when he made the first joke, he ended up having to go to a neurologist, but he never did. All right. So we didn't talk about this. Um, Corey, I know you're super excited about Alien Covenant. Go I'm ahead. so excited. It's one of my top films, well, anticipated films of the year. Yeah, I agree. I'm right there with you. And I can't wait to see it. I'm pretty sure it's an IMAX, of guys. Of the summer, so. for sure, I would give Blade Runner tops mm. over Alien Covenant, as far as what I can think of off the top of my head, but yeah. Baby Driver, Dunkirk. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There... Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's replaced. some good ones coming out, but... I'm definitely excited about this one. Yeah. Well, th- this is. I'm trying to curb my enthusiasm for Dunkirk Shh. just because oh. of my over enthusiasm for Interstellar. It's definitely. Um. It. He hasn't let me down. Except technically, The Dark Knight Rises let me down a little, but it's Batman, so I'm. He kind of gets a pass just because it's Batman. I, I'm. I mean, I say that. And I hated the crap out of Batman vs Superman. So clearly, Batman movies can be disliked by me, and I ignore the fact that one other one exists with somebody else that I don't want to talk about. But I prefer Dark Knight Rises to the Dark Knight overall. Really? Yeah. That is interesting. Um, Especially upon repeat viewings, I feel like it stands up overall as a whole. Whereas I feel I think Dark Knight disintegrates. Just a lot of uh, setup. Just under the weight of the voice, the gravelly, the over exaggerated. Yeah, gravelly but it doesn't voice. get better in Dark. And then we add Bane's voice into Dark Knight Rises, which is also which I like. It's just really hard to understand sometimes. It's not some like I'm not opposed to the the way Tom Hardy did the voice. See, I'd never. It is. I I. Felt like I understood him readily. Like it wasn't a stretch to me at all. I do like Hardy's Bane though. A lot of people hate on that character. I I really enjoyed that character so much so that he gave me hope because I was a bald guy that I could buy a mask <laughs> and do cosplay as Bane as long as I could go. Oh, come out of the darkness and um, you know. But uh, nonetheless, I have not been disappointed by a Nolan film to date. Um, so and my I, I'm boy afraid. Killian's back. And yes, which he he loves him obviously. Um, I'm waiting for the. I haven't seen Michael Caine in there, but Tom Hardy's back as well. 
um, in Dunkirk, and then Harry Styles making his film debut. That's exciting. Man, that newest trailer for Dunkirk was just. Which, by the way, David Beckham is in King Arthur. I don't know if you guys know that, and it's he's he's pretty awful. He's not in it a lot though, but Ugh. he's. He's I pretty did bad. Not know that. Yeah. Uh, although I have to say, Guy Ritchie did something pretty great. He made him ugly. Like he gives him this huge scar on the side of his face, and but yeah, his, his he, they gave him way too many lines for a first time actor, and it's it's. I'm not a David Beckham fan, nor like you know I, I'm barely aware of his existence because I'm not a soccer person. Whatever. He is super famous, obviously, but I don't I don't know that like if he were to walk past me, I wouldn't have known that I would know it was him. Although as soon as he was in the movie, I'm like, oh, there's David Beckham. Like I just like he stands out. Like oh, that's that one guy. Um, but going back to Alien Covenant and uh, Corey's excitement, Brendan's so excitement. Excited. I am cautiously apprehensive. Um, I didn't love Prometheus my first watch. I didn't hate Prometheus. I wasn't I wasn't on the uh, hate wagon so much. I have with time because I haven't watched it, but the one time. So all of the poisonous reviews have made me dislike it more over time just because i'm like well i must i didn't love it and everyone else says it's so bad i must not like it and so i need to rewatch it i'm most i'm hoping to rewatch it before friday um so that i can have this it fresh in my brain especially since fastbender is playing the same character again um david the yeah the abcd of the uh the androids in the movies um i guess that's a spoiler if you didn't see prometheus but um, I, I don't know, like, like I'm kind of torn on the trailers. Um, I well, don't... as a lover of the movie AI, Spielberg's AI. I still haven't seen that. Which also was about... Kubrick's film, too. A David ah. AI bot. I think it's an interesting parallel drawing just, mm. you know, just the likening between that similarity between those two. Well, you know, I'm, I love the first Alien, like, a lot. Like, so, so much. Um, I, I, I love the second one, obviously, I, I hate that I love it because I do have a love-hate relationship with James Cameron. Um, but I do love uh, the second one. Um, I <laughs> like the third Titanic. one. It was before Titanic. I didn't it's hate okay. it. It was. It was before Titanic. Way and before. Way before Avatar. Um, but uh, I like I, I liked the third Alien. I don't love the third Alien, but I, I enjoyed watching it. I was... You know, there's stuff that's bad or whatever, but it's it. I was if we're just talking like, was I ready to turn it off or was I fine finishing the movie? I was fine finishing the movie. I was having enough of a good time to keep going without any hesitation. I've never seen Resurrection. Oh, see, I liked all of them, and a lot of people really hated Resurrection. Yeah, but I kind of loved it. It was Jean-Pierre Jeunet. It's this French director, and he's trying his hand at that franchise, and it was so kind of far removed from the originals it was kind of its own thing just using you know it did just dawn on me too monster baddie uh cory that did come out in 1997 by the way um i don't know if you've seen Uh, (gasps) not that i can remember i was just looking it up like i remember the just put that together though i think why it's relevant so maybe towards the end of the show we might have to have another decision made um especially given that what's coming out next week um, and then I've seen AVP, uh, both of them. Nope, I haven't seen either of them. I, I I don't like the first one. I found the first one to be sadly boring, and I really wanted it to be great because I love the Predator. I'm actually a bigger fan of Predator than I am the Alien franchise, but um, more so the creature than the movies, but like I do love the Predator movies. Um, and then AVP 2 was, eh. It was better than the first one. I Requiem. Requiem, that's right, sorry. <laughs> um, ugh, names. And... Then again, Prometheus didn't love, didn't. I, I don't feel like I remember it well enough to say I, I hated it, but I didn't love it when I watched it. You've hated on it a lot oh, when I, we've talked about it. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes I do things just to, to get under your skin. So I know you do. <laughs> it's not nice. Um, and so uh, 
I, I'm I'm gonna see Covenant. No no question. That'll be the movie I go see Thursday night next week. Um, but I am apprehensive. I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's amazing. I want it to be great. I'd love to see Ridley Scott re, you know revitalize this franchise and see what. Especially if there's two more coming out. Um, I I don't want them to be two more bad ones. I want them to be you know three awesome alien movies to add to the franchise. So here's hoping. Yeah, and they canceled the Blomkamp one. I don't know if that's good or bad because I like District Nine so much. Um, I, I'd be curious to see what he would do with that. Although Charlie Copley would most definitely be in it, um, which could be good or bad because he's great sometimes. Then he, I don't know. I, a lot of people didn't like him in Elysium. So well, there's got to be good cause for them putting the kibosh on it because they touted yeah. that for a while. They did, and I also heard um, the name's not going to come to you. Who's directing Blade Runner? Um, Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. I, I feel like I heard his name. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm confusing Blancamp being. An, yeah, it's I think I am. Ridley Scott doing the parallel yeah. resurgence of Alien and Blade Runner. Yeah, because when the Blade Runner sequel was being discussed, Ridley was on the list to direct it originally. That was like the rumors that were going around, and now he's just producing. Um, but I'm really, I, I'm so stoked for that movie between Gosling and then uh, Villa, that dude. Um, <laughs> I am so and bad. And Harrison at Ford. <gasps> I hope. Uh, come on, like. He was great in Star Wars, not so great in Indiana Jones, Crystal Skull. All right, so like apprehensive about old Harrison Ford. Yeah, movies. third time charm. Yeah, so let's hope. I hope it's got to be great. Um, and I also hope they do voiceover. I want the noir style that the original cut of Blade Runner had. I like the voiceover. Oh, no way. I love the voiceover. Uh, I'm hoping that they put that back in theaters. Ah, that would when be. I really watched cool. the original cut after seeing like the director's cut without all of that, and I had never seen either version of it before. I couldn't even watch the one with the voiceover. See, I was the opposite. I watched the other ones first, and when I got to the voiceover, I was like, I finally understand what's happening because I was so lost about plot points in that movie without the voiceover. Because like there's scenes where you, it, maybe now if I rewatched it, well now I already know, but if I had rewatched it, who I am right now with movies versus the five or six years ago when I, I went through the Blade Runner films. I was very confused without the voiceover. Um, but we have talked way too long about not the movie that we're here to talk about. Um, so those are the trailers coming out next week. Uh, sorry, those are the movies coming out next week. We watched the trailers. Um, the one that we all are going to see, it sounds like, is Alien Covenant. The other yep. two, uh, most likely, they won't see. I will see everything, everything, probably. <laughs> um, I will not go without my daughter, though, because that would be weird. So um, oh, now it sounds weird, too. Hold on. And dear listeners, please feel free to go see Alien Covenant and help a girl out with <laughs> the top five this year. Uh, Corey, this is your chance to take over for a little bit because you'll have two movies in theaters at once, which could also Thank be bad me. because now people might not go see King Arthur in the second weekend because Alien comes out. Um, so you might have a, a really bad second weekend drop off, which you're already competing with Guardian second weekend. So just the way the time has flown for you. I just think I should have been able to go first, but go ahead. It, it was random. I, w- I would have liked Guardians as my first pick, too, although you could have had Spider-Man. Um, they don't want that. That's a mistake. But Fine. Spider-Man movies have made a lot of money, all of them. Um, all right, let's get into our movie. Synecdoche, New York, much smaller film than some of the ones we just talked about as far as first. Uh, overall thing. Oh, yes. What am I thinking? Corey. Spoiler warning. That's why this is my job. That's, that's right. We're... Good job. <laughs> So we're probably going to ruin this movie for you. If you don't mind spoilers, listen ahead. If you want to check out the movie first, come back and give us a listen afterwards. And um, I didn't look to see if this was streaming right now. I don't think it it is. You it's can't... not on Netflix it's or Hulu. not on Netflix. Yeah. And you can rent it, though, of course, on Amazon Instant or on Vudu or on iTunes. 
um, or buy it. Um, I got to say, if you're into Charlie Kaufman um, or if you're into what I, I have dubbed the surrealist film style of Charlie Kaufman, uh, then this is, I think, a, a just blind buy. Um, now, if you're not, if you generally like movies that are more straightforward, that have a very clear narrative, this may not be the film for you. Um, and I got to say, because I was thinking about this, I was walking the dogs after I finished watching this movie. This is the second time I've seen it, first time Corey's seen it. And Brendan, how many times do you think you've seen this movie? Uh, at least seven. Okay, so Brendan's got a, a few on us here. Um, but it's been a long time since I've watched it. And, oh, I thought you were rewatching. Yeah, I tried to do that. But. <laughs> Whenever I consulted my library, I realized that the DVD was no longer present there. Oh, so no. whoever I lent it to last, or whomever I lent it to last, I never. Well, you should have just came from. over and watched it with me tonight. That's what I was gonna do. But <laughs> then I was thinking I wasn't sure if you had already seen it, even though Corey was oh. like, "I think John has already seen it at least once." But then I was like, well, I didn't yeah. want to weigh in on if you had not. Got it. Well, yeah, for yeah, for the podcast, um, I feel obligated to watch it regardless if I've, even if I've recently seen it, I will rewatch it the week of, um, because I, I, I want to be able to talk on it. And like, I was, and it was the only movie, that's the only movie that I watched in my 366 from last year that earned the, uh, it, it made me make a new rating. I didn't have this rating. But it was um, inconclusive was the rating that I gave it because I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I was so unsure of what I just watched. And um, I, I definitely think it was the when I watched it because watching it tonight, um, I, I did do a little reading after I, I saw it the first time trying to understand what was happening. And I don't know. I went in this time feeling um, still no clue what I was getting into having already seen it. But picked up on a lot of themes and i think i understand the narrative a lot better this time even though the narrative is is not a traditional narrative in in many ways um it's more about the themes that uh charlie kaufman wants to to dive into um i think at least maybe i am still misinterpreting this film but um before we get into our thoughts on it let's go through the uh plot summary on imdb a theater director struggles with his work and the women in his life as he creates a life-size replica of new york city inside a warehouse as part of his new play um, it stars Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace, Samantha Morton, Michelle Williams, um, getting this to load, Catherine Keener, who's uh, in also being John Malkovich, which is another film um, co-written, or not co-written, sorry, written by Charlie Kaufman, um, Tom Noonan, um, the daughter is played by Sadie Goldstein, and there's a few other actors I want to mention, I think, um, or maybe not, well, Hope Davis plays, uh, I think that's the um, therapist, yeah. oh, and Jennifer Jason Lee is Maria. She's always in that case. <laughs> There comes a point where you are continually cast at the same as the same type of character, and I just assume that it's your real personality. I'm looking at you, Jack Nicholson. <coughs> oh man, she's gauntlet. I like him. Cost. I like him, but I'm just saying. You're calling out Jack Nicholson, he hasn't made a movie in almost ten yeah, years. But he's in one of my favorite movies ever, The Shining, and I can think of like three other movies off the top of my head that he plays. He's crazy. Yeah, often, often plays a crazy guy, and he's. Isn't is he doing Tony Erdman the yeah. um, the American adaptation of it? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then out of retirement, dude. Robin Weigert, what? Robin Weigert plays the adult Olive in this movie, and she is. I'm pretty sure I just saw her in something that I really liked. I think she is in. Um, yeah, Pushing Dead. I saw it at the Florida Film Festival. Um, she's fantastic in that movie. Uh, she has a very small part in Synecdoche, but that's really cool. I was like, I know her. All right, that's I think all the big name actors and actresses. 
Emily Watson, not not Emma Watson. Emily Watson yeah, is in this. She's a big deal. Yeah. Um, she's in something recently that's getting a lot of talk too. Oscar nominated actress. Yeah. Uh, Diane Weist is in this. Yeah, she's an Oscar winner. And then I, Christopher Evan Welch, who I don't know, but he plays the pastor in that monologue scene at the no, end. No, you know him. He was in Silicon Valley. Oh, well, there the you go. First season, he played like the one of the idiosyncratic guy who buys them out. Oh my God, you're Hulu. right. Yeah. Wow. I. Yeah. Wow. Did not recognize him without a beard because even in his IMDb picture, he's got a beard, and that's the Silicon Valley. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I loved that monologue in this movie, by the way. Um, so let's let's do some ground rules because this movie I think we could talk for like three or four days on. Yeah. Um, so one, we're not going uh, minute by minute or anything like that. We're just going to kind of jump into different scenes we want to talk about. Um, we can stay chronological. We can jump around. Feel free to redirect if there's something specifically you want yeah. to address. Good luck staying chronological. Yeah, and, and that's I think even more to the point why we don't go try to. Um, this ultimately uh of all the films that deal with the idea of existence or the meaning of life or whatever this might be the most existential film that i've ever seen um because it is it is a character who is so obsessed with the idea of death that he's not living his life and it's that this is again just my interpretation i definitely want to hear what you guys are thinking but i the first time i saw it i felt more confused because I was, I think I was looking for a more traditional narrative when I went into it. Not here. Yeah, you know, thinking I was going to get a movie where he wants this and he's going to go after this, and if he doesn't get it, this will happen, or he'll get it and this will happen. And that's not what this movie is. He's exploring this. In fact, uh, in many ways, I could see Charlie Kaufman being um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. You know, as he's writing the movie, this character is him who's writing a play, who then has a character who's writing the play. But like more so than adaptation. I still haven't seen Adaptation. That's on my list. Oh, man. So he's directly, like he's he, directly written into yeah, Adaptation. Yeah, Nicolas Cage plays Charlie yeah. Kaufman. I, I'm very so familiar with So this, to it. me, compared to that, feels definitely removed from him supplanting himself in the main character. It feels like much more diluted than that. He's got this, and I don't know, maybe it was the fact that he was stepped into the director role beyond... I, I think uh, Spike Jones originally was yeah. actually attached to direct. Which would have been his third movie with Kaufman, right? Because he did Being John Malkovich adaptation, and then this would have been three. Yeah, and Kaufman, I guess, stepped up or somehow convinced the investors that he could do it. And it seems so much more pronounced and well thought out and, I don't know, tightened than those movies are. They're, those His early movies prior to this, to me, they have this element of being like kind of frenetic to where they're trying to force this narrative structure onto it to make it a saleable item. And this one, yeah. I mean, this one tanked. It was like a 20-plus million dollar budget, and it maybe made like three back. I had never heard of this until last year at the Florida Film Festival. You mentioned it to me on one of our many long drives and conversations. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I don't know this movie. Um, and it, even the name doesn't help because I've, I, Synecdoche, New York is a real yeah. place, but I'd never heard of it. Schenectady. Oh, see, I still can't say it. Um, so yeah, so the name of this movie is a play on words off of Schenectady oh. to be Synecdoche, New York, which I did not realize that. Synecdoche is like a literary term where right. a part is representative of the whole. Yep, yep. Pretty much. I did know that. I, I did know that part. I didn't, I think I... I think when I watched it the first time, I learned all of that and then have forgotten it since then. Yeah. And now I'm being reminded. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That all sounds very familiar. Um, which obviously is part of the uh, the themes in this film as well. 
um, especially towards the end, uh, everyone dies, everybody, you know, but, um, Cor- spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, we did that at the top. Yeah. We're, we're all in. Um, everybody dies. Um, <laughs> Corey, uh, you've been somewhat quiet. So I, I kind of want to get your initial oh, impressions of this film. What do you think? Do you, uh, yeah. Cause you hadn't seen it. What do you think about this movie? God help me. Um, okay. So I just need to be real honest with you <laughs> right up front. <laughs> you hated it. <laughs> I, so <laughs> I didn't hate it, but I cannot stand him as a person in this film. Oh yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. I cannot stand him. Like interesting. Not, not Philip Seymour Hoffman. The, the way actor. he behaves, I'm talking about the, the character, character he's playing in the film. Yeah. I, and I, oh God, the movie felt so long. Oh, <laughs> I know it was like legit two hours long. Just yeah. over. Two hours Just and four over. minutes, everybody. Yep. yep. It felt real long. Um, and I, like last night, I couldn't even anymore. 27 minutes left. I had to like just put it away. Um, I definitely do feel like I needed that second watch that you recommended. Mm. But I also couldn't bring myself to watch the same movie twice in one week. It's dense. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Well, um, I, I found uh, my reaction emotionally. I um, Now, I've had a tough week uh, in general. Like, um, stupid things. Like, I had a... a hour almost two hour long thing with uh, AT&T and Verizon cell phone thing trying to like switch and lower prices and by the end of it um, I spiraled into like a mini depression um, which uh, yeah well you know like I I felt it coming on and I'm like I don't know why I'm so upset but the the whole thing just made me realize how um, how poopy middle class is uh, middle you know in current terms and I don't know maybe I'm not middle class and that's the problem but I feel like with my degrees and my job uh, that I'm a teacher and responsible for the youth of America that I should be middle class and it doesn't feel like it and um, that that really set me down and I, I was fine Tuesday morning I woke up feeling fine and then uh, some things at school, and next thing I know, I was feeling down again, which is not in a place you want to be. You don't want to feel that way in a class of kids because you can't. You got to fake it. You got to put on the smile. And you got to. You got to try not to feel it. But inside, I was like, "Oh my god, I really want to just lay down." It's and like cry. a role that you have to play. Yeah. in your own life, which is kind of like this movie. And that's <laughs> yes. what this movie ended. And I, I didn't feel. I don't feel depressed, but I was very much aware of a lot more of what he was talking about. Not, not like you know, no suicidal thoughts, nothing crazy like that. Just this idea of how temporary things are. You know, because my daughter turned thirteen. It doesn't feel like she should be thirteen. Which you made that kind of joke earlier, Corey. Like, how is she 13 already? And I don't feel like I've been idly watching. But at the same time, where did all the time go? You know, and it's that's those are themes that this character is so, I think, obsessed with and afraid of. And well, yeah, they play with the temporal scape of this movie a lot right out of the gate. Right whenever it starts, it's messing with the timeline and where you're at and where you're situated. I mean, from when he wakes up to hearing the radio to looking at the newspaper to seeing the date on the milk carton. It's like exponentially months, months, months. Oh, when when Adele and Olive go to Germany and he's talking to Hazel, they've only been gone a week. She's like, it's been six months. And you're like, no, years. Was it, was it years? Years. years. It was oh, like, man. Yeah, four years or two years or something. Yeah, it, it was. And, it, and it, that doesn't stop. That's throughout the film. And it's never, you can never quite grasp when time is. And it's really, um, I'm still, I think the part that I still feel the most unsure of, I have more ideas, second watch, is the Ellen 
element of the film when Ellen comes in uh, towards the, the last quarter where he yeah. uh, starts going where to clean he inhabits his, the role of Ellen initially as, as the maid yeah. cleaning up and and like if is Adele really there because she's never there every time he goes she's never there there are signs of people being there um, there's notes left yep. that he hears in her voice yep and with a cough, even which I I don't remember if the cough was that I don't think I read no, the note. It was in the notes, it was and a, then to the point where the last note he reads is of her. I mean, this is jumping way yeah, ahead. We, all over yeah, the place. Lung cancer. Yeah, dead. she's dead. Everybody he loves dies before him. Even though from the get go he's ready to die, he's thinking, "I'm dying." There is I I don't know, I didn't count, but there's at least ten different ailments he claims to be suffering from. So um, do you know what? Cotard syndrome is no enlightened although that is his last name in the movie exactly yeah so it's all playoff Cotard syndrome is whenever you suffer from the belief that you are already dead oh okay yeah so it's not like because uh, I was just thinking hypochondriac because he he keeps thinking he's sick but this is operating under the belief that you are dead wait so we have been painting this movie as very heavy and <laughs> down and death and all this but this movie is actually really funny yeah no because definitely. speaking to the hypochondria part of his the thinking he has ailments and that he's dying all the time mm -hmm. there are a lot of really funny elements that are introduced through that as far as him like thinking that he has to manipulate himself to salivate whenever he eats yeah <laughs> so and having to drop tears, tears into his eyes the whenever tears he's crying. The substitutes is so great. It says it on the bottle. Tear substitute. It's not even eye drops. It's tear substitute. And he's the shot of that too. It's such a close up with the the tip of it like in the eye. If I have an eye phobia, and it's all up in the eye, and um, and then him crying. Oh man. Yeah, no, there's definitely humor in this. I mean, one of the first ailments Tons we hear. It starts off with his daughter green telling poop. him, that yeah, that there's green poop. My poop God. is green, Dad. And, and it looks like Play-Doh. Like, and it, does this family ever wash their hands? He tried to, but the sink busted him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> God, but that's after. Okay, but first, the very first one that we see, he goes and pees in the sink in the basement. That's not the first And his thing. urine is discolored. That's like the, like the fifth or sixth. But... It's, I can't. It, like, right at the beginning, uh -huh. okay, so it starts playing with you right away. I mean, uh, as I'm, soon as I'm... the movie starts, it's like you're hearing the radio people wake up and they're, like, singing the Schenectady song. And mm -hmm. uh, he sits down and he's reading the newspaper and he's like, oh, he's like, Harold Pinter is dead. He's like, oh, no, wait, he won the Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing, right? Those are interchangeable. Death. by the obituaries and there's so much of this movie that completely deliberately is blurring the lines between like that severity of death and achievement like death and what you can do like his whole strivance is to do something meaningful through his work mm -hmm. which he's a, a director for theater but the whole time he's dying in spite of that mm -hmm. and the whole movie he's like i figured out how to do it I know what I'm going to do now, and, like, he can't decide on a name for the play. I mean, we should nail out, like, a little bit of groundwork for what the baseline story of this is. It's like a theater director. We said the synopsis at the beginning, yeah. but he's married, has a kid, and then it starts off in a very realistic base at the beginning, and it becomes progressively more surreal, more dreamlike, yeah. and more distorted 
as the movie furthers itself. So he's a play he's a play director who gets a MacArthur Genius Grant. Yep. And suddenly he's got all this money and funding to do like what he wants to be his most meaningful work. Like this is gonna be his swan song. Which like, is prompted by Adele saying that his last work wasn't personal, that it had nothing to do with him. It was just it was someone else's yeah, it was an adaptation of someone else's work. Which interestingly was Death of a Salesman. I believe so, which and he cast young people as the old characters and he also after this movie came out years later starred in on broadway oh interesting in i i want to say maybe it was sam mendes that directed it hmm. it was somebody it was a significant director who did it for the stage yeah i mean um that's definitely death of a salesman um obviously again the idea of death and and whatnot and then michelle williams plays uh, that's how he meets uh michelle williams character she's claire in the movie, but she's acting as the uh, the lead female in Death of a Salesman for him, and then comes back into it later as a love interest. And um, that's the, all the women in this movie. Um, you have Adele, which is his wife, um, which is played by Catherine Keener, um, and he has a daughter with her, Olive, and they leave and go to uh, Germany. Um, and that's a big plot point throughout with the film. Maria. With Maria. Um, Jennifer who, Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Which. Her accent changes, right? Like from yes. the yeah. first time we meet her, it's normal. It's not normal. That's wrong. She was a Madonna. Yeah. Uh, she just turns. <laughs> she she changes to adapt to whatever place she's at. Um, well, yeah, and that distortion occurs through his daughter too, because mm -hmm. he's got her journal. Yeah. That's supposed to be from whenever she, she was, was a little girl, four years old, and he's reading it, and then after she's gone, it continues into her life as he's reading it and she develops a German accent. Yep. Yeah. And becomes a lesbian with Maria. Um, and yeah. Uh, and that, that's an interesting plot device too. Just that the way the journal continues to get new information. Um, and that, that was one of the, like when I was watching it the first time I was waiting for, um, it to be revealed as like in his head or, you know what I mean? Like I kept waiting for it to come back to the opening scene that this, you know, like all of this experience would be not necessarily a dream, but maybe like, um, life passing before his eyes or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I was expecting some type of, uh, grounding it back in reality and that doesn't happen. Um, and I think that's a good thing, but that was when I watched it the first time I kept waiting, like to try, I kept trying to figure out how are they going to bring this back to reality? How are they going to bring this back to the opening sequence and it just keeps further obscuring the line. Yeah. And, and so much it so never that never even tries to come back towards nope. it. If anything, it skews to it. It diverts into multiple lines because you get the, uh, the different when he has the MacArthur grant, um, he, he gets this big warehouse and basically builds New York inside the warehouse and has, he's not, I, you can't, it's a play to him. Well, it's all like a micro, it's all a microcosm mm -hmm. of what his idea is. Yep. And that becomes a play within a play where everything in his body of work starts to take on a life of its own where it spawns itself. It's like the looking in a mirror that's facing another mirror. Yep. It becomes this infinite loop of him trying to perfect and accurately represent the people in his life and how it pertains to him and how it could be represented in an artistic body of work but at the same time be true and then it becomes people representing people and rolls on top of rolls to where it's like the the stage of the play is a warehouse and that warehouse has another warehouse inside of it where another play is being staged and so on and so forth to where it creates this infinite loop where he's trying to constantly represent reality yeah by further distorting it like yeah the more he tries to portray it 
Well, and then you have um, like a lot of references, like Claire at one point when uh, when uh, my uh, what's his name, Clarence? No, it's not Clarence. That's the Sam- angel from Sammy. No. no. Well, Sammy's the guy who I'm talking about. When Sammy starts playing Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, whose name is Caden. Um, Caden. Uh, when Sammy comes in to the play and starts, which you did you notice Sammy throughout the film core yeah, before? He's in it right from the get go. When he when, no, he goes I was like, what? He goes to check the uh, the mailbox at the very beginning of the scene. And there's and he's a across the he's street. across the street. There's a blurry guy there, and he shows up in a few scenes. If you're, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, and I totally got it. This I was like, oh, oh my god! Like there's this creepy old guy like all the time. Um, Why would you hire him? Well, because he's a, he knows the character, man. He plays I the put character. You in jail. Um, oh. Well, that's the whole conceit, and that's well, that's one of the conceits. The whole conceit, yeah. Like there's one conceit in this whole movie, <laughs> but part of it is that whole idea of like. As a person, you strive for this element. You want someone that understands you. And then, like, all of a sudden, he wants someone to portray him. And this guy surfaces, and he's like, I've been watching you your whole life. Like, I know everything about you. And he's going to be the one to portray him in this. And you have that idea of something outside of yourself. Like, that's your id, basically. Like, checking yourself. Like, that self-reflexive idea where you have your self-awareness keeping yourself in check of like oh well this person like this externalization of myself could come along and be this perfect version of me yeah and at first it seems that way for him like sammy seems like he's the perfect representation but it doesn't take long for sammy to show that no he's not he's not him he's gonna do things differently um he starts pointing out like that's not what he shouldn't do that he shouldn't say this and even he makes a move on the girl, yeah, uh, Hazel. Exactly. That he's been unable to do throughout the film. The only one who he hasn't been able to close the deal with um, to some degree. I mean, obviously him and Adele had problems, uh, but he was fine with Claire. Claire and him have a child. And then he, there's the uh, the Hazel number two, as I was calling her. Um, Hazel's actress, the actress playing Hazel in the play. Um, he sleeps with her, but he failed the one time he tried with Hazel and had never made another attempt. Yeah, Sammy does. Sammy makes an attempt. And so it, 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 there's so many little things that I like. You could almost pick one element of this film, analyze it a lot, because there's still, it wouldn't be an easy analysis. And then go back, and there's another 30 or 40 threads that you could pick at and, and start to wonder, like, why? Like, um, Hazel buys a house. Yeah. I want to know fire. the point of the burning house. Fire. And I know that she says that she's afraid to buy a house by herself, and then something about it'll be the death of her, or she's going to die there. She does mention that, yeah, um, that she's afraid the fire will kill her, I think is her words. Um, and she also meets Derek there, because Derek's living in the basement. Yeah. And that's who the she creepy. marries. The realtor's son. Yep. And that's who she marries and has kids with. Um, and uh, spoiler, uh, again, spoiler warning's already been given, but she does die apparently as from smoke inhalation, um, according to the fire guy. So the fire is real. And they even, they at first they're ignoring the fire to me, but then they, they make reference to it, but they don't make reference to it in a panic. Like if we walked into a house that was on fire, we'd be like, oh my God, this house is on fire. They're just like, I'm not sure about the fire. You know, like it's like- Like it's uh, something aesthetic. Yeah. Like wallpaper. Do you think uh, the fire just represents the- um, the brevity of life, like that it's it's always in flux, it's always in danger, there's always concern around every corner, even in your own home, or... I mean, I think it's more so that he's with Adele at the beginning, and then that goes on the fritz. Yeah. To the nth degree by the end of the movie. But 
That fizzles out in the beginning, so he's on the open market again, and then he's got the choice in the beginning between Claire and Hazel, yep. basically. And so he chooses Claire, and she's like the obvious choice to him at the time as a substitute for he's trying to court Hazel, or Hazel's trying to court him, rather, yep. and draw him in, but all he sees is a girl who's living in a house that's on fire and like sees he sees certain doom right away. Like, mm-hmm. He sees the the house on fire but he's with Claire and then that seems to be the safe choice to him and obviously it doesn't it doesn't pan work out, out but yeah. still in fact, at the time to him and then later it becomes apparent as he tries to uh, reflect on and and renegotiate his life through his work he's reflecting on it and he sees oh well this is what I wanted the whole time was Hazel and he goes with Tammy or the, yeah who, I think that's who's her name. playing Hazel yep. in the movie like she goes to his mom's parents funeral, funeral. Yeah. yeah and uh, that was one of the craziest scenes in the movie when he's like you can sleep in my parents room and they walk in and there's still blood all over the floor he's like oh yeah I thought someone would have cleaned that and you're like oh god that's that's horrific um but yeah um you know that whole scene like the whole element with her him and Hazel it's very sweet too at the end although it's tragic and then he takes his play uh he says in a note to hazel or in a voicemail to hazel um who's dead but that i figure out how i'm going to do the play it's going to be one day and it's the day before you died the happiest day of my life and that's so tragic and so sad there um and again i think that's one of the more interesting things about this film and i want to bring back to the point brendan brought up a little bit ago is that there's a lot of different tones in this movie well a lot of the themes are dealing with death. It's done in a way, and I think the intent is to make you think um, not to waste your life worrying about death, but to live it and to enjoy it and, and embrace the, the things and don't put off doing the things that you're concerned about doing. Like, don't be afraid to go after Hazel if that's what you really want. Because, yeah, sure, it could end abruptly, but it could be the happiest day of your life. You know, it could, it, yes, imagine how many happier days he could have had had he picked her in the first place, you know? Maybe that one happy day that he got with her would have been hundreds of happy days had he not been afraid to, to pursue what he wanted. And I think... Um, and again, there's a lot of humor in this movie. Philip Seymour Hoffman is great. I mean, there's a part where he has a seizure, and I don't, I don't think seizures should ever be funny, but the way he has the seizure is is kind of funny. Like, I was wondering if it's even real or if it's another. Oh, it's definitely not real because he's very much functional when he's having the seizure. Like he's, when, my understanding, and I've, but the I've witnessed some like, seizures. Yeah, but you had a seizure. But remember, none of none of our rules apply to this movie. Like, you can't use like reality's rules and doctor expectations. Um, to apply to this film because yeah, take as the therapist for instance, yeah. Hope Davis, which we haven't we haven't really talked about her on. at all. See another, this is a huge thread too, as she is throughout the film. They're having couples counseling, and she's like, uh, the wife Adele is like, can I say something awful? And she's like, I fantasize about Caden dying so that I can start again fresh. <laughs> yeah, <She's> like, guilt free. <laughs> and she's like, Caden, how's that make, make <laughs> how you feel? feel? Not good. <laughs> oh man, and it's so extreme. But it's, I mean, it's these A class actors playing all the roles, so they mm-hmm. pull it off with this effortlessness to where it hits all those notes at once. To where you're like, you feel that devastation of, oh my god, yeah. But you're also laughing at it because it's presented so hysterically and in the surreal way. It doesn't yeah. like because even they look like children on that couch. That couch is huge to me. Because, like, Catherine Keener's, like, laying with her head. She looks so small by comparison to that couch. 
That and even how she's laying, she looks like a kid who's just really yeah. bored. And speaking of her looking small, how about like she's an artist and she produces these microscopic pieces oh of art that you need uh, telescopic lenses to look at to even be able to witness. Yeah, and apparently, and they are amazing. Like these really interesting portraits. Um, and but that's so funny and it's so re- uh, like reflexive ridiculous. and built into the idea of w- trying to watch this movie and make sense of it is it's like trying to put on these amplifying magnifying lenses to look at every small detail to see how it adds up and to see what it is underneath or like what well, you can't see in the smallest details but it's all there like throughout in all of it that's Kaufman um I, I agree. Earlier you said that the first three films, and I haven't seen Adaptation yet, but um, being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine have very clear structural narratives. Um, there is no debate uh, that we have a character, they have a goal, and they pursue that goal, and at the end of the film they either have achieved or failed at at that goal. Um, and there's no there's there's maybe some debate at the end. You walk away not 100% sure with the, where they'll go from there, um, but there's definitely more of a, a traditional narrative storyline. Uh, in those two films and yet even though that's true and I, I think that's you know be a young writer trying to make it in Hollywood they have expectations they want to make sure they're going to get the box office and as you pointed out this experimental type narrative doesn't didn't do well at the box office but did really well with uh, critical reception you know it has a 77 or something on Metacritic yeah but um, Ebert said it was the best movie of the decade. And I can, I mean, it's so. Um, I, would you call this avant-garde? Like, I mean, it's definitely experimental, but I don't know that it, it fits into like other avant-garde films because there's still there's still a clear theme and there's some narrative here. It's not like there's it's not completely free of narrative. There's a story being told. Yeah. It's just not as obvious as other stories. Um, so yeah, I, no, it's it, it's like that being presented in the guise of a narrative. Yeah, yeah, and because he has a goal. It's a narrative that disintegrates kind yeah, of it, as the movie progresses, but as the characters grow, it becomes less important. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, the goal it's really, in a way, it's about the journey, even though the journey is internal more so than it is external. But um, you know, the thing though, with which impresses me with his writing is that even though Spike Jones directed Being John Malkovich and um, adaptation, and uh, uh, Michelle Goddard, I think Gondry, Gondry um, directed Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, he also did another of Charlie Kaufman's before Being John Malkovich was called, or it was after Being John Malkovich, but before adaptation was called Human Nature. Oh, I've not seen that one either. It was uh, Patricia Arquette oh. and Tim Robbins. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, a really funny movie too. We'll have to add that to yeah. our future list because we still need to watch. Um, I did see Anomalisa uh, last year or beginning of this year. I think I saw it. Yeah. Um, and that's coffin directed and written with puppets, which definitely reminded me now of being John Malkovich. Having just watched that, I was like, oh, this is about a puppeteer. How interesting. Um, but the thing that impresses me, considering he's only directed, I think, two of his movies, um, his style. Yeah, just those two. Comes this one out. and Anomalisa. Yeah, but his style comes. Like, if you watch this movie first and you know it's a director, writer, and then you watch Eternal Sunshine. I think most people would be like, oh, he clearly, Charlie Coffin wrote and directed this. Like many people confuse Nightmare Before Christmas as a Tim Burton film um, because of he wrote but didn't direct. You know, And then Coraline comes out and people are like, oh, this looks like Nightmare Before Christmas. It's clearly Tim Burton. It's like, no. And that wasn't Tim Burton either. But that's, you know, my, my point is. Yeah, just stylistic confusion. Yeah, his writing style is so distinctive sur- yeah. you know, that these surrealist visuals come into all of the movies. Um, more the most in this one for sure. Like, and I think 
even the mo most innovative in this one because again they take on a life of their own like these crazy things happen but they're happening so much like i think you could watch a scene five or six times and probably pull out something different each time that you maybe didn't notice the first time because it's happening in the foreground in the background in the midground it's on the left side it's on the right side it's just it's everywhere something is is there that you can look at and then either find out later that it had significance um, or that it was trying to foreshadow what was going on. Like you mentioned, the milk carton, the newspaper, the clock, the the DJs on the radio, just all this rapid um, content that's giving you information that you're not even looking at because it's just you're you're expecting a normal setup of a movie. This is just the guy's normal routine, but it's not. Even from the get go, it's not his normal routine. Like the sink hitting him in the head lets you know right away this is this is crazy. Yeah, which is a hilarious scene, it by is. the way. Even how like he freaks out and the little girl. Oh, when when he tries to explain plumbing to her. Oh gosh. And he's talking about the pipes, and she's like, "I don't want blood. I don't want blood." And I'm just like, <laughs> and his wife says, "You don't have blood." <laughs> well, and we've seen her do that a few times because um, with breakfast, like, no, you're not having peanut butter and jelly. You're having oatmeal. I don't want. Fine, you're having peanut butter and jelly, and she just. It's just whatever she can to shut her up. Well, Corey, you had not seen this before. What was your what was a standout thing about this movie to you watching it the first time? Like, what was something while you were watching it that you were like either blown away by or struck you as particularly odd? Which there are a lot of potential <laughs> moments that would qualify for that. I guess probably the for like the thing that sticks out the most to me is and we've already talked about it, was his ailments. Like, we kept seeing different ailments with him. We saw, like, the different sores on his arms and his face and his legs and then all these different things, but no one else ever seemed to see them, and everyone was like, you're fine, you're fine. And I forget, was it Hazel? I don't remember which woman in his life was like, you're fine, and then it looks again at his arm and it's gone. What about him seeing, hmm. like, the cartoon show on TV with him. And it was him. him. Yeah. Yeah, that's really compelling. And that was all emblematic of that too. And that's why he's sitting in the basement where she used to do her artwork and then he starts cleaning everything with his a teeth. toothbrush. Well, he's brushing his yeah. teeth with it and you then guys... takes it to the floor. He doesn't ever put it back in his mouth, Corey, so calm down. <laughs> I know, but then there is that scene where he's at the dentist and they're saying that he might need... Oh. Did they say gum surgery? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, okay, <laughs> dear listeners, dear listeners, I personally have a problem with fingernails, te teeth, and hair. I, I can't. If you I remember, listeners, if you've been loyal and you've heard many of the episodes, I had nine teeth taken out of my mouth a few months back. And so the gum surgery was the most horrific thing I think I've seen in a long time. I was just time. waiting. If they really wanted to drive that home, if they really wanted to make us, like, make stomachs turn, there should have been, like, teeth falling out or coming loose at some point. I felt like they didn't, I love know. the, well, that's another example of the time progression because he's in the dentist, dental chair and they tap, tap it on his teeth and saying five, five, which, sadly, because I hadn't been to the dentist most of my life until recently, I didn't get what the crap that he was doing there. And now I'm like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. Like, one, two, two, three, yeah, well, two, two. Yeah. One, two, like, three, two. Five. They were all fives because all of his teeth oh, are going to fall out. And then okay. he's like, uh, in a few months, I think he says something. He says three months. And then all of a sudden he's doing it again. Six, six, six. You're going to need gum surgery. And then he's getting the gum surgery. And you're like, oh, my God, why would you show that? You um, didn't get gum surgery. I don't even understand well, again, that. It's it's not grounded in today's world. Remember that. It's a different. Oh, I know. You can't use our logic, Corey. It's a different set of rules. I can't think that way. Oh, that's my favorite way. I mean, think. he lived as a woman. The end of the movie is him living as a woman. And there's a, a lot of that, like. 
casting women as men and he casts Diane Weist becomes him as mm-hmm. the director and which that, all of this cross that scene though um that's where the pastor gets to do the monologue um I didn't notice yeah. it the first time but she she fire well maybe it doesn't fire but she recreates that scene that was a scene that actually happened to him at his um I think it was at his mother's funeral or so yeah I was going to say so this movie I love it and oh. it's the only movie that I ever you have a book. have bought the screenplay that was like the shooting screenplay oh, for nice. they published it yeah so there's like a Q&A session in the back that talks about that scene with a guy from Silicon Valley that okay. uh Chris Evan Welch yeah and he apparently had auditioned whenever they were trying to hire people for the movie and Charlie Kaufman liked him but didn't have a spot for him well he had this role and like this monologue that he had written but he didn't know who who it would be for excuse me so he remembered this guy and he brings him in like the day before they shot it oh, wow. and gave him the pages and he came in with the whole thing memorized and delivered it and in this interview that's published in here with the screenplay, he talks about how when he wrote it, it was something that he wrote that he wouldn't normally write because it, it's this disembodied scene within the movie. And even though it applies to the funeral within the context of the film, it's very much apart from anything else like this. Mm-hmm. Him playing the the pastor delivering the funeral sermon or whatever it is, he's never seen before, he's never seen nope. again in the movie. That's his only scene. He yep. comes in, he delivers this thing with bombast, and it's very moving, and it's very emotional, and you see Caden reacting to it, and he's like, you know... Yep very satisfied and very you know moved by himself reading it and charlie kaufman talks about how it's not something he would typically write he would only feel comfortable writing it in somebody else's voice where it was going to be seen as and and in that scene diane weist as caden takes caden's character out of it like he's completely off stage at that point it's the only time since he cast sammy that he's not in the play he's it's and that had been a theme that they had talked on a few times throughout the film is it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not making everything about you. Whether it was him, Claire's character, there's a moment with Sammy and um, Caden sitting outside of the apartment where uh, she says something about, oh, it's going to be weird to play me. And she walks in. He's like, yeah, right. Or something like there's this like throwaway one liner where they both kind of laugh about her being self-centered. And so that's the theme throughout the film is this, we're all worried about ourselves and about our own health. And what, what are we doing? What are we achieving? And then this scene comes in, Diane Weiss is cast as Caden, and she steps in, changes everything, and, and um, Hazel, I think it's, it's not Hazel, it's the, the new replacement for Hazel, because Hazel's, it's Damn Hazel's me. funeral. Uh, no, it's not, it's not Hazel uh, number two, it's just, it's uh, the woman, it's just like a woman assistant, they never, I don't think she gets a name, but she's an older lady, and um, she's opposed to him casting a woman as himself, and yeah. she's like, she's changing everything, that's not how things were, and he's just like, no, no, let it happen, and Caden's removed from the scene and we get this very you know revelatory monologue and like you said it's not nothing like Coffin would have done it was nothing like Caden would have done and I think that's that's when the film takes a really big turn and he says I have to step back I need to to you know and he becomes somebody else yeah that's when he becomes the maid yeah cleaning up I can't remember what the name was but that's when he starts reading the notes from Adele Mm -hmm. and that's when Diane Weist that's when she gets the Ellen Ellen yeah Bascom yeah and that's when she gets the uh, the, she, she gives him the earpiece. Well, he started off as Ellen. She's Millicent. She's Millicent Weems. Mm-hmm. Diane Weiss. Oh. Yeah. And yeah. she steps into his role, and then he becomes Ellen Bascom. Mm-hmm. He becomes a woman. He and does. it's a woman essentially becoming him. And we 
see like the little painting that um that Adele had done of this Ellen character that we'd already seen, but it's reminded again. And there's talk about um because we hear Diane Weiss giving him like the internal monologue, like you know thoughts. Yeah, she, like, he's got the earpiece. Mm-hmm. She's feeding him direction as he's going on, and that's. I mean, the, the exit strategy of this film, like the way it concludes to me is, I mean, beyond measure. And with her it, shouting, the, the last thing, it starts fading very slowly to white. Yeah. And um, it's almost not even noticeable. It's almost, you're almost just thinking like the sun's coming up or something. And then the last thing we hear is Ellen or uh, Diane, we say die. And it's like, so here, I'm going to show you this in the screenplay. Oh, okay. Yeah, you I can want see you right to here pull. the very, very end. It says, he says, I know what to do with this play now. I have an idea, I think. And then it says the screen goes black fast and without the without line die. die. And instead it goes white. It goes full white. It goes white, white. yes. Um, which is definitely not traditional either a film. I mean, some films end in white for sure, but traditionally films fade to black. And then you get your credit roll and you're done. Um, this goes to white. You hear die done, and it's it's powerful. And it's preceded by like while that narrative is going on in his ear with the earpiece, you experience this, and that's where it becomes like you mentioned before about like life flashing before your eyes. Like there's this element of that throughout the film of this whole idea of him reflecting on his life and the parts of his life and that's going on throughout his progression in life and then it gets to this end part where he's going through this aimless wandering through places that he thinks he knows and there's nobody there and uh he runs into this woman and she's like everybody's dead and he's like you look familiar and she's like yeah i played i was the mom in somebody's dream somewhere earlier in the film do you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah yeah. Was it in, was um, in like I, the daughter's dream or somebody's dream? I think the first time. Well, we see um, she plays somebody's mother. He, he sees the dream, like he sees them sitting, and she says, uh, "Like mom, in twenty years, I want to re, I want to have, yeah. I want to bring my daughter here and have the same picnic." Yeah, yeah. Um, and but I also think though, and I'm not a hundred percent. I haven't gone back early in the movie. There's a like the very stereotypical prescription commercial. Yeah, it comes on. And yeah, he ends up in that. Yeah. At some point, like where he sees himself, but I think they're sitting in the foreground of that commercial, the 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 picnic. Um, yeah, and then it's not drawn. It's not. They're not prominent. They're there, and then later he's he is Ellen. He is the little girl mem- remembering this di- this picnic, and then saying those things, which yeah. being fed through Diane Weist, and then he's now sitting with this woman, a little older, which he says to her. Um, which, yeah, <laughs> and he apologizes. Apologize. For, yeah, apologize. yeah, yeah, at her best. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I guess the point of that is that it's this nondescript person that he kind of remembers but doesn't really know or have any attachment to. And you experience this extremely tender moment that is shared so convincingly between those two as the movie, you know... Well, the other stumbles off yeah into and, white <laughs> and the, the interesting thing too with with that whole time as Ellen apparently Diane Weist as Caden kept building more plays because when he goes looking for the voice because the voice starts to to you know fade out he's not hearing her yeah it's fuzzing in and out he starts looking and he goes to a, another warehouse and then another warehouse and we don't quite know how I think he's like five warehouses deep when he runs into this woman and he says, where's everybody else? Mainly dead. Yeah. Some left. Mostly dead. But mostly yeah. dead. Um, some left, but mostly dead. And it's like, how long was he, Ellen, and, and like that, she just kept building. Like, life kept going. You know, even though he had kind of stopped living, he, you know, withdrawn into this little, just doing, going through the motions, essentially, 
not really making any decisions, not wanting anything, just cleaning the house, going to bed, cleaning the house, going to bed. Yeah, everything I mean, it reaches this point where he surrendered his role mm-hmm. as something significant to a more resigned, yeah. simplistic form as it's represented in the movie. And, like someone says something like, like easing himself oh, out. The, pri- the priest says something like there is no such thing as fate except for what you make or something like that. Or you make your own fate. I can't remember verbatim. I'm sure you have the book. But yeah, um, yeah. he says something along the lines of like, there's no such thing as destiny except for the fate you make or something along those lines. And I don't know. I found that that speech. I don't remember that monologue the first time I watched it. So I think I had, I think I'd mentally just been overloaded the first viewing. And this time I was definitely picked up on a lot more. Um, and now I've watched a lot of movies since I watched this movie the first time. Um, and I, I definitely have I've read more books. I've studied film a lot more. I definitely feel much stronger um, in my film knowledge this time around than I did the first. Um, which, Brendan, I wish you had seen um, the Kate uh, Blanchett film at the festival. Uh, uh, Manifesto. Manifesto. Because yeah, I've been reading stuff about that now, and I really regret not going. <laughs> um, it, it is. It was when when I heard it, like I didn't really know what it was until I was in the theater at that point. And it's like a series of vignettes, and they're all. It's just her reading these various manifestos from these. Um, different you know some are artists some are leaders uh like political leaders and things like that some are fascist uh, and um in these very interesting written uh, roles it was originally done as an art piece that they then put to it was an art exhibit that was just like you would go to these different rooms i think and there were the, the videos would be playing or something like that and, and it was the, all different actors no it's still blanchette it was still um, her it was like the videos of these things yeah oh, okay. that's my my understanding from uh, Valerie Castellanos, who is the Enzian um, PR person, okay. she gave like the foreword before it. You know, they always do the little kind of in- introduction to it. Um, it. It was a movie that when she's giving the introduction, she says uh, she saw it at Sundance, and most of the people in the theater either left. Uh, the two people sitting next to her in the movie were snoring. Really? Yeah. And so I'm like, it's not you're not selling a movie that you're that we're all here to see now. And I loved it, and I, I didn't think I would. And I I feel like it's. It's not in the vein of this, but it's definitely um, it's 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 not a traditional narrative. And, um, you know, I know that as a film viewer, I've grown in the last year. And this uh, I just the second viewing, I think, has proven that to me because I definitely took more from it. Um, And granted, I think second viewings in general, you're going to take more from it. But it's not like this is a second viewing recent. This is a year apart that I've watched this movie. And I do know that I did not give 100 percent of my attention that first time around. But it wasn't because I didn't oh, want man, to. And it's a hard one to get even with 100%. <laughs> yeah. That makes me feel a little better. No, and, and I this here's the thing I want to say about this podcast. This is, I think, the deepest movie that we've watched. There's so many interpretations and whatnot. We've also watched some very simple films. Like, I love The Fundamentals of Caring with Paul Rudd and the, <laughs> the yes. one kid. But it's a very straightforward movie. Like... The themes that are there are, are on the surface. It's easy to interpret, and it's a fun time. And there's nothing wrong with those movies. And then there's movies like this, where it's meant to be a thinker. It's meant to make you question what the motive of the film is. Why is this film being made? What's the point of it? And the more you invest into this film, the, the more value you will take from it. Um, and I like that I can watch both of those movies, those type of movies, and you know, enjoy them. And, and even go watch King Arthur. Which is, you know, there's a story, but it's it's an action movie. It, it's they want you to get to these big, you know, epic CG fight scenes, and I had a pretty good time watching that too. You know, so like just the the ability to listen to like, all of it. 
this movie exposes what it is to be human like at your most vulnerable points and your most unsure because there's... I guys I have such a hard time feeling bad for him uh, that I <laughs> But it's not it's not a it's not a total thing though. Yeah. You mean like overall throughout the movie? Did you experience I, it in moments at least where it was able to to conjure up that I mean it almost seems spontaneous in certain scenes to where you're kinda like, What's going on? and then it achieves this huge high mark of emotion and then, you know, offsets it with some darkly comedic you know, subversive comment or dialogue. Yeah, I, I'm. What was it about him that you found unsympathetic? The way that he treated the people in his life, Claire, his second daughter. He couldn't even remember her name. Yeah, that's an ongoing joke. And maybe too. it's kind of funny, but I felt like he was very dismissive of the people in his fam, his his life. Well, I mean. I'm not saying he's a great guy by any means, but I also like Adele. It didn't seem like he did anything wrong to her. She was very dismissive of him, like she was the artist and he was a wannabe. Um, and especially after she like she doesn't go to the opening night of his play, he gets all this, which was shitty. Yeah, and he gets all this um, praise, and she goes and immediately is just like, well, it's not even your own work. It's just your, you know, you just adapted it. And she's very dismissive of all of what he's done. Um, and so, I, I mean, to me, you, that's where the sympathy should have been built is that he his life was crap at first and he was trying like he ever you could tell he wanted Adele to be proud of him and she's not and it's not there and uh, his daughter gets along with him but he's you know they're both distracted parents neither one of them I thought were particularly great parents they both love their kid but you know they're they're both busy with their work and they're busy with you know concerns and their worries and the kid is just one of those it's not the worry it's not the thing they're living for and then they're taken from him and he tries with Hazel. Well, Hazel tries with him, really. And that that fails. Oh, Hazel. And then he picks Claire. And Claire, I think Claire represents, um, like, she's she's young. She's full of life. Um, she seems to appreciate him. She, she keeps constantly praising how smart he is and how uh, successful he is. And she's clearly, she's been reaching out for him since the get-go because... Um, the first time we see her is at uh, the play rehearsal, and she he gives a bunch of notes to the guy, and she wants notes, but he doesn't give her any. And she's looking for him to um, <clears throat> interact with her, and he doesn't. So now he does give her the time of day, and of course, it's not it's she's a pseudo life, you know. She's the the closest replacement to Adele he has. They have a child that's the closest replacement for Olive that he has, and that's all they are. They're 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 replacements. There's yeah, there's a dreamlike quality mm -hmm. to the movie throughout as well to where I think I can understand where you wouldn't or where you would be unsympathetic or where you wouldn't be able to find a common ground with him as a central character because in a way a lot of this stuff is treated with this sort of frivolousness and and surface level quality to where you kind of can't understand it while it's happening to him. But then later it takes on this weight that's more severe whenever it kind of sinks in. Like we as a viewer realize what a fool he is or what mistakes are being made because you see it right there in front of you. But from his vantage point, it's like, you know, he's living his life. He doesn't know what's going on. And that's where like and I don't think we've mentioned it at all yet, but the music in this movie oh, yeah. is so gorgeous. And there's like a very central song to the whole film. And like I've listened to this soundtrack i don't know how many times and especially this song but it's called little person and it's sung like within the 
the movie and it's during uh the portion of the film where he's you know it's his fling with hazel mm. where he goes home with her and you know she makes him a drink and she's trying to the love potion number nine yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's trying 69 to, yeah oh did she say 69 yeah <laughs> oh i didn't catch that um, yeah, but they go and they meet each other, and there's this lounge singer like singing in the background. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like left aside after that, but it's this gorgeous song that's so representative of the whole movie. Well, I mean, the sound design in the movie is amazing because there's all sorts of sounds that, again, that Kaufman likes. That well, I know he didn't direct the other films, but they they all have those. There's background things that are um, part of the story, and they they build the tension. They build. It's just so it's so impressive. Um, and total silence sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, and even uh, j- just you know, like there was a part where my phone rang at like almost towards the end of the film, and it's to to clarify my my ringtone is Maui uh, from Moana singing his you know his song, and that somehow the sound at the film was it was so intense that I was really confused as to what was happening. Like I thought it was part of the movie for a second. I'm like, wait, what is that? Like, oh, that's my phone. I better get, you know, like I was so just because the sound is so in, there's so many sounds going on, so many different layers of content because um, there's sound, there, you know, there's a, a ringing like there's the a couple of times the phone rings and that's a that's a it rings at like the most inopportune time. And Adele's obsessed with getting the phone at one point. And she's like, answer the phone. He's like, I'm not answering the phone. And then she answers the phone. And it's like, you know, it's this there's just it's chaos. And that's kind of part of the film in general. It's life is chaos. There's so many things happening at all times there's no way to plan everything you can't control every every facet but of your life i felt like he just kept reliving the same experiences and he was very re- resistant well and remember there's a point where they say you're in stasis that that's mm-hmm. towards the end of the film they straight up they ellen's character well when she wants to play the director and she like lays out his life to him um when she wants to be him in the play and she's like blah blah blah, blah. she kind of lays out a lot of the the uh i feel like that's Coffin's attempt of trying to make the movie accessible. Well, it jumps so much from his ambition as a director, as an artist, what he's trying to achieve, what he's trying to convey, and trying to be so important and significant with what he's doing. But then in his life, and as he's trying to represent that through his art, he's failing because his ambition is in his art to a degree. And it becomes this whole give and take between his professional artistic life and what he wants for himself personally like he wants hazel but he doesn't want to commit to it after losing adele and he goes for claire and then he has this regret his whole life and it's becomes this projection into his play to where he's casting people to play hazel and himself and claire and adele and it becomes this compartmentalization of his entire life to where and 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 that's something that you get as you grow older it's like you, you through your life experience and the way that you redefine your perspective you start addressing life in that way almost it's where you take like a snapshot view of something and it becomes this relation to whatever has happened to you in your life up to that point and it's like you could look at 15 people in a spread in any public setting and you just naturally will apply that to your life so you see these people and you relate them to people that you know or, or people that you've seen before in those similar situations yeah the juxtaposition idea like you know you got to compare and contrast projecting um, yourself into your own life and projecting people that you know and what you think of them and what your take is on them into your own life well um 
Corey's definitely unconvinced, uh, and I'll give her a moment to start thinking of what rating she's going to give this movie. Um, I refuse. No, no, I gave it. In, I gave it inconclusive. I refuse. I gave an inconclusive Corey to this movie last year, so that is a rating that is on the website, and there's an explanation, so that is an option that you can always give. Um, but before we do that, one little like n- another note to this film because there's a lot of little things and. Um, when he catches up with uh, Hazel in New York after he's gotten the MacArthur Grant, um, and she's they're they're kind of giving like the the stats of their life to this point. Where she's with Derek and the kids. Yeah, because she says at the hotel. She says, "I well before he sees her there, they meet on the side of the road, and she says, I swear, and I I've not looked this up, but I swear she says, oh yeah, we have uh he said uh, Derek and the kids is like oh kids." It's like yeah twins and then says three names oh yeah and it's to me it's the idea of like the one-upping like it's like twins you know what it's three i have three children and then she does have three children but she said twins and i think it's that representation of this like i gotta be better i gotta yeah. i gotta make i can't let him know that my life isn't as great as his or that it's not where i wanted it to be because i can't lose and there's a lot of flourishes like that too where mm-hmm. it's the one-upsmanship and people trying to make impressions on each other like yep. the therapist recommends the book by written by a four-year-old yeah yeah the uh which later as piazu or I can't something think of it. it's crazy li- name. It's little something um and little la- winky little winky and then he's at a bus stop oh, later gosh. and there's a poster with little Winky holding him, uh, his yeah. arm around him, and it's like it's so just in the background, like you could totally not see it, and it, but it's there, and it's um, yeah, and she gives him a book that she wrote, and she's we didn't even talk about her much at all. This the and therapist. he's reading her book on the plane, and you know, obviously his mind, like his imagination, wanders into the idea of like having some sort of intimacy with this therapist, and then it disintegrates, like as soon as he entertains that idea it ceases to be and then like the book ends i mean i don't know if it's in in his head or not though because every time after katherine keener leaves and he still goes to the therapist she seems to be making getting closer to him each time like you know she has her legs crossed and her feet are pointed at him then she sits next to him and then she's on the plane and like i'm traveling because i but that's one of the great things about this movie though is that it's not knowing whether it's supposed to be real and also it not mattering whether it's real or not it it does not matter that is very true what were you gonna say Corey? because you you sounded like you had a little something to utter it was just the same thing that when she sits on the couch with him she moves really close to him Mm -hmm. and he's kind of standoffish about it and the closer she gets he starts seeing like sores on her and she's scratching her feet yeah 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 she she and it becomes that thing where the further she is away from him the more he desires her and the closer she gets to him then it which is similar to hazel in a lot of ways um like his relationship with her like Whenever it's there, he seems less there. like the time he seems the, the most more available for she it, is. Yeah. yeah, when she, when he almost the kills further himself, he's trying to distance himself from her. Yep, and when he almost kills himself because she's the farthest away from him possible, happy with three kids, they're yep. laughing, having a good time, and he goes to jump off the roof, but is saved by some random guy with no shirt on. Um, like kind of resembles like a Baywatch character. And, uh, you know, and that, that, that scene kind of just ends, too. It, just like, he's rescued, done. No yeah. one talks about it. Nothing happens. He doesn't go to jail or anything. like. But then that comes place. back in with Sammy, Sammy. playing him, and mm-hmm. he successfully goes right off the building. And and then he's, he tells Sammy to get up. I didn't kill myself. Like, And it's like, uh, I don't think it works that way, buddy. <laughs> but 
And it doesn't, apparently, because Sammy's dead. But, um, all right. And I loved that it looked, the whole city looks real, but when he falls into the ground, you can see it's, it's, it's like plywood. wood planks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's so much, so many little things about it. Like even just how the city, it, it starts off as just a big room where people are like divided up in grids almost. And then they start having scaffolding where they're standing like, uh, like more like a, apartments. And then he's like, I need the facade. I need the outside. And then all of a sudden it's just the city. New York City is inside this warehouse. And he keeps giving the guy more things to build on to the city. Yeah. And the guy seems like it's no big deal too. Like he's like a couple days and the guy just nods like, yeah, a couple days. I can do it in two days. It's fine. Um, all right, let's get to the rating. Brendan, I feel like I know what rating you would give this out of our uh, our five options generally, although we'll throw in the sixth for inconclusive. Uh, must see, not quite golden, decent watch, um, a, not a total waste of time, and avoid like the plague. Uh, where does this fall on your scale, Brandon? Yeah, it goes must see for me for sure. I mean, I could keep going on and on <laughs> 10 more hours about Easily. a two-hour-long movie. Yeah, it's so dense. And I am going to change my review from inconclusive from last year to I I also think this is a must-see, but I want to give a caveat. I don't think this is a must-see for everybody. Um, I do think that many people will uh, – if you want to watch a movie strictly that's easy to digest and um, is going to have a very clear point of view and cl- very – well, this has a clear point of view, but a clear narrative and a very you know on-the-surface point of view where there's not a lot of question as to what the meaning is – this movie isn't that, um, and it's not going to be a simple, you know, watch it and walk away. And I don't know that it's even necessarily going to entertain everybody. But in my world, this movie hits the must see category for me. Yeah, you're either gonna wanna, you're either gonna watch it and wanna watch it more times, or you're gonna watch it and be halfway through it and know that you hate it already and never wanna watch it again. I don't think this. Corey, sh- I'm <laughs> seeing you react to that like that is exactly the category you're <laughs> falling into. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think this should be anybody's first Charlie Kaufman experience. Um, I think starting with I'm gonna agree with that. John Malkovich <laughs> or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is a better yeah, entry dip point. Dip your toe in first. Yeah, um, because it is very surreal. And, I mean, Charlie Kaufman, I think, is the Salvador Dali of screenplays. Um, I don't think anyone comes close to hitting consistently the surrealist elements. He elevates it to a higher form. Yeah. Ebert said of recent screenwriters, he and David Mamet yep. are I've, in a class under their own. And it, it's crazy because it's consistent film after film. And if anything, like it's getting more and more. Like Anomalisa I need to rewatch also because I do think it, it's, again, just... It's not nearly as there's a much that one to me after this I was not yeah yeah, yeah it's it's a much more straightforward narrative again but wait Corey is this a must see for you I'm thinking I was really hoping I, I think was you get already I think you already changed your mind to must see I was trying to buy Corey some <laughs> no time. I didn't I promise I didn't I'm gonna say as a person that is obviously in the company of geniuses and does not do a very good job thinking outside of the box. I know I need to see this movie again, but I don't think it'll be for a very long time. This movie was very taxing to me. Oh yeah, it's exhausting to watch. I get murdered. When it came out by... in theaters, I saw it I saw it three times. I went to see it Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then I went to see it one more time right before it left theaters. Man. And Ow. it was like the first time I saw it, man, I mean I sat there in the theater through the whole credits and I was like sobbing, crying. <laughs> 
Like, not ashamed to admit it, it affected me very deeply the first time that I saw it. And it stuck with me, and, like, I listened to the soundtrack. It was the first movie I ever bought the screenplay for, to look at it and be able to read the text and be like, wow, this is, you know, something else, for sure. So what rating is it, Corey? <laughs> Must-see. I'm not saying. Inconclusive. Yeah, Definitely not. It sounds like no. I was looking at the first two months. I was looking at the old rating Avoid system. Avoid, like, the plague. No, um, I'm going to go with inconclusive, but like I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this one or when. Um, and it says at the very end, it says this rating was created for this film, yeah. for this movie, and it's being used a second time for this movie. <laughs> so, but I, to be fair, I do feel like um, one one of the things um, film has become my sole obsession. I, I, I have foregone most of my other hobbies to pursue a better understanding of film. It has been my favorite art form for as long as I can recall, um, but it wasn't until maybe five years ago that I realized I could do something with film that wasn't making them as a career. And so, you know, I teach high school film. I do. I review movies now. I We do the two podcasts. Um, a lot of my time goes to film, so much so that my video game time, which Brendan can vouch for me. He's sitting in the room with me. I have video games all over the place. I've They're been, all unplugged. Uh, pretty much. They might as well be. <laughs> My Xbox has not been on for a month. Um, I April, again, I don't know what happened to April. It, it came and went. Um, and while I sometimes miss the video games, anytime I have free time, the idea of playing a video game makes me feel guilty. Because I'm like, well, I could watch a movie. There's a movie I haven't seen that I should watch that I need to watch, and I'd rather do that. So I have devoted at least the last year and a half of my life just to being better at understanding film. It's something that I want to even get better at, and I hope one day to be teaching college-level film and hopefully one day sell a screenplay. But that's not for everybody. That's not everyone's take on film. Some, I have, I'm proud to say that I have converted many people to the world of film um, on, a, on a scale more so than just entertainment. But that's I like the diversity of our, our podcast in general. You love movies. You've been a fan. You're a fan of entertainment, I think, is even more fair to say. You are obsessive of music. You are obsessive of TV. You're obsessive of film um, and books. Yes. Um, and I love that. Um, that's one of the reasons why we are friends. We have a similar passion for the arts. Um, even if ours, maybe they differ. We both, especially maybe our taste differs, especially in the music world. Um, but we both are extremely passionate about those things. And I think it's good that we can look at a movie like this and and be able to have very divisive feelings. And sometimes they're movies, they're more popcorn-style movies that you and I have very different feelings of. Well, what did you think of the performances, despite of the tone of the movie and kind of how off the market was? in structure and composition like, i feel you like... like you're trying to get me to say positive things so hard well i'm i'm feeling it out because you were unsympathetic to Phil philip seymour hoffman but you enjoy him as an actor right generally so is that an effective performance then anything about anybody's Ooh. performance in this oh no you sound like a bumblebee we got we got on. robot voice going on i don't know what's <laughs> happening we're almost done. Please don't ruin it, podcast. Not you, podcast. Go ahead, Corey, try. Is this better? Yes. I'm a little echoey, but I'm going to go with it. I enjoyed everyone's performances in the film. I don't have a problem with that, but it's hard for me to get into a movie when I'm not when I'm not sympathetic to any of the characters or I'm not really I can relate to that. Invested in them. I can't think of what movie it was that I recently saw and I I used similar words where I was 
I was so not connected to the characters. Don't breathe. That was totally what it is. Good call, dude. <laughs> I don't breathe. I filmed. Oh, I that. thought you were gonna say the last Star Wars because we agreed on that. Oh, Rogue One too, but for different reasons, and I, I, I really need to rewatch Rogue One. I think I went in um, I do too. expecting not a war movie and got a war movie, and I wasn't. It's not like I didn't. Li- I didn't hate Rogue One though. Like I. Even to be fair, my rating on on Don't Breathe was decent watch, which is a positive rating. Corey hated <laughs> it. Corey gave it the award. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't. I, it, that movie's well made. There's some amazing cinematography. I just didn't care about the outcome, so I never felt like I was having a good time watching it. That was where it should have been a must see. Like if those characters, if I had the same sympathy for those characters that I had for the guys in Green Room, that movie would be a must see. Which Green Room is because Green Room. Even with minimal backstory, I cared so much about the outcome of those characters. They made me, I, I was worried for them. I was worried the whole time. And um, you are the person I saw that movie with first. And then second, even, um, as we yep. happened to run into each other. Um, and I, I, both times I saw that movie in the theater, I was so blown away. And to be fair, I do think Green Room has ruined thrillers for me. <laughs> Almost every thriller I've seen that doesn't make me feel suspense, I have like trashed. And I'm always like, Green Room? That's a thriller because I I was on the edge of my seat that whole movie. That should be your new rating. The green trash. Not green room. <laughs> Not green room. That's it. Not green room. Um. Yeah. But you know, it, it happens, and I, I I want our listeners to be able to take that because doing this movie is a big risk. Um. It's always a risk. Our listeners aren't going to always watch the movies that we that we do. Um, and they're not always going to like the movies that we pick. Although I've ha- I've heard from a few people that uh, they watch Tramps because of us and really like Tramps, which again is a very straightforward rom com. You know, it does it does subvert a few expectations here and there, but it's very straightforward and it's a fun movie. Um, I liked it. You didn't like the female character too much. Um, you thought her performance was uh, unsympathetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I thought she was fine. I didn't think she was like amazing or you know, but I thought she did a solid job. Um, and that's why I like talking to you about movies, though, because often change the way that I think about it. Well, I think that's just conversing in general. Like um, this. Yeah. I needed to talk about this movie like um, because there were so many things I wanted to say. And that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is that there are times, especially when in the 366 where I watched a movie that was 15 years old that people saw, but nobody wanted to talk about it anymore. It's a, there's an old Jim Gaffigan joke about um, he's like, I just saw heat like heat. I saw that six years ago. It's like, but I want to talk about it now. That is me all the time. And this podcast lets me get that. Like, I get to talk about it with someone else who just watched it um, or someone who remembers so much about a movie he hasn't seen in a long time. Um, you know, it's uh, I, I like getting to converse about it because it does it can help me. Um, it can change my point of view or I can you know, maybe bring somebody over to my point of view. Um, and I, I enjoy that because there are times where I watch a movie and I know exactly what I what I think about it and there are times like this movie where it takes a second watching in a year um, for me to get a, a definitive answer to my point of view of this movie um, we do need to wrap this up because we're hitting the two hour mark and we are sorry listeners because um, we're even we're breaking the fourth no, wall not. just talking about the podcast um, but our next episode Corey we are going to be hitting episode 20 which isn't a huge milestone but it's a milestone it's 20 episodes into this um, you know it's uh, and I thought it would be fun since it's 2017 to pick our next movie that came out 20 years ago for episode number 20. So we're going to be watching a movie from 1997. And we had a few ideas, but I think with Alien Covenant coming out next week, there's only one that makes a whole lot of sense. 
Um, you and I, neither of us, have seen Alien Resurrection. I think we should watch Alien Resurrection next week. What do you think, Corey? Oh, you I'm haven't down. seen it either? I haven't seen it either. Um, and I own it. I bought. I got on a kick when I was working at FYE, and I bought all the Alien movies. And I got through the first three and never watched four. Um, so I think it's a good one to jump into. And uh, is Winona Ryder in that one? Yeah, she is for there sure. There you go, Corey. So when you said 97, my mind immediately jumped to one of my favorite movies. Don't say Titanic. No. Because oh, okay. <laughs> it is 97. <laughs> it's this movie called The Game. Oh, I've, I love The Game because it's David it's Fincher. David Fincher, yeah. yeah. Who also did Alien 3. Which um, Nerve from last year got a lot of comparison to The Game because it's a game. Uh, and it's a game of life. Oh, uh, or death. Nerve was better than I thought. It still wasn't great. But it was, it was better than... The ending is where Nerve fell apart for me. The um, game was better than I could have ever yeah. as a twelve-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I was. I think I saw it when I was. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I re- still remember so much of that movie. Um, same thing with Seven. Actually, I haven't seen Seven since I was way too young to watch that movie. I saw that at Mugs and Movies. Oh, I, I saw it at home. And so I shouldn't have. the part in Seven where they're walking in and there's all the air fresheners hanging down and mm-hmm. the guy is just on the bed Ooh. and it's a dead body lying on the bed and then suddenly he's <gasps> oh Jesus inhales That's the air me now. so right right whenever that happened at Mugs and Movies the waitress comes up behind my dad and puts her hand on his shoulder to be like here's your popcorn and he's like ah <laughs> jumps out of his seat and almost has a heart attack Jesus yeah that Man, um, yeah, but game ninety seven would be, I, I think uh, definitely a, yeah, a one. The I'd alien correlation definitely you can't uh, yeah. escape that. But we, the we game I was it. just wanted to. Say. No, I I actually want to rewatch all of Fincher's films. Um, I just watched Gone Girl was one of our first episodes of this podcast, and um, I actually hadn't realized how much I love Fincher at that point. It, like hadn't clicked all the movies that I'd seen that I love. Obviously, Fight Club has been listed as one of my favorite films, even though it gets hated on by so many people right now. I still enjoy so much of it. I, I and I never it was never about the bromance to me. It was the it was the first time I think I remember seeing a movie where I went in with expectations of a very simple movie and walked out with my mind blown. His, his early movies got a lot of hate. Yeah. Yeah. Um Seven's I haven't seen Seven in a long time. I haven't seen Besides the game in a long Seven, time. Alien Three got hated on. Mm-hmm. And there's a director's cut, I think, of Alien Three too that's supposed to be more to what he wanted. Versus what the studio released. You've heard that whole theory about like his early work being focused on trying to represent the perfect suicide. No, wow, that's interesting. That's I, now I want to read an article about that. Yeah, um, but then I love the Social Network, which I didn't put together with him the first time I saw it. I did afterwards, but like while I was watching it, I was like, oh, I love Zodiac. Um, which I was so intrigued by the premise of Zodiac that I bought the true crime novel and read that before I saw the movie. And that was, I mean, that movie, like, I think that introduced me to Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, I don't think I'd seen him in anything at that point. Mark Ruffalo, for sure, I hadn't seen in anything. And it really made me love Robert Downey Jr. before he was Iron Man. Like, I think that was part of the reason I wanted to see Iron Man. I was like, oh, he was in, he was the drunk guy in Zodiac. And, um, and the guy, I can't, I never, John Wesley Shipp, that's not his name. Who's the? He played Drew Carey's brother yes, on the Drew Carey show. John Carroll Hill. That's it. I never can remember his name. And he's in, uh, he's in The Founder, which I thought he was fantastic in The Founder. Um, or John something Carroll. I think it's Carroll's the last name. That yeah. sounds right. I always screw it up though. And that's why, I, but, um, John Wesley Shipp is the Flash and he was the dad on <laughs> Dawson's Creek. Um, <laughs> my bad. Uh, but at least it's a real person. Um. But, uh, yeah, so next week, to get to our point, next week we will be watching Alien Resurrection. We would love for you to watch it before our episode. 
and tweet at us or email us or leave comments about your thoughts of Alien Resurrection. And this one, it's old enough. It's 20 years old. Maybe you've already seen it. Maybe you already have opinions on it. Um, and we also would like to hear your thoughts about the Alien Covenant. Are you excited about it? Are you nervous about it? Um, do you have no interest? Because it will matter to me because I really want to win the fantasy draft. And I don't want it to do well for that reason. But I do want it to do Not well. Nice. Hey, you know, I want to win, Corey. I'm competitive. Are you a fan of Billy Crudup? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although it looks like he's going to die pretty fast. Did you see in the trailer? It looks like he gets the... Uh, the face hugger is. Um, I think tomorrow they're going to move him to uncredited on IMDb. Yeah, <laughs> that just slowly move him on. Um, so next I week. Say this about Prometheus really fast. My favorite character died first, of course. The geologist. Your favorite character is not Michael Fassbender. <laughs> oh, I love him. <laughs> I know so much, but love... <laughs> I'm so glad my husband doesn't listen to this. But you know, I really hope that at some point in Alien Covenant. David's head gets knocked off, and they just put a big paper mache head on him for the rest of the movie. Um, yes, <laughs> just walking around, they frank it up. <laughs> yeah, they just totally go frank. He sings. Uh, I wish he that Fassbender would do like a mockumentary where he just really buys into Frank and just walks around for like a year with the paper mache head. No one sees him anymore. Like, is he is he really under that? And then at the same time, we get um, Casey Affleck to walk around with a sheet uh, and just let them be those characters for a year and see how it goes. Um, I can't wait for me. Oh, Ghost Story, mm-hmm. A24. Um, oh, I also saw The Lovers. I should have mentioned that at the top of the show. I got to I got to go to a critic screening at 10 a.m. Uh, yeah. on Monday morning um, by luck because we were testing and I wasn't in a test. So my boss was like, yeah, go ahead. And so I had to drive all the way to uh, West uh, boy West Shore. Is that a thing? West Oaks? And, no, in, in Tampa. West. Sh- oh, yeah, West Shore. Yeah, West Shore Plaza. And um, 10 a.m. I, uh, I met a critic from Tampa Tribune who was really cool. Um, but Lovers, uh, I, I really liked. I liked it quite a bit. Um, found it very entertaining. Um, and another movie where it's hard to find sympathy for the characters. So they're all kind of jerks. Um, they're all doing something wrong. But I did find a little more sympathy than I would have expected. Because they, they're just really they're super dynamic characters. There was some new A24 movie I saw a trailer for with Kirsten Dunst. It's oh, like Woodshock. I haven't seen the trailer, but I saw the poster. Uh, man, it looks... I think it looks really good. I'm I'm A twenty four. If it's if A twenty four is attached to something at this point, I'm going to watch it. Um, even what's the it, it comes out at night with the, the Joel Edgerton movie. Oh yeah, yeah that looks really I'm good. I'm totally too. gonna see that. Um, assuming that any of these come near me, um, yeah. which I'm, I'm at this point I'm I'm okay with driving to Orlando again, and I'm okay with driving to Tampa. Although I've never taken sixty all the way into St. Pete. It gets sketchy. Like it gets real sketchy. Like. You're like you leave Brandon. Brandon's like all nice, and you get you get past Brandon. You're like, oh, what's going on? There's like everywhere's a strip club. And Another traffic light. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Stop sign. It gets. <laughs> get it, me out of here. <laughs> Don't go to complete stop. Um. Yeah. But nonetheless, uh, that we'll be back next week, guys. Sorry for the extra long episode, but at the same time, not sorry. Um. But if you would uh, tweet at us, hashtag MC. Alien Resurrection on Twitter, and we will read your comments on the air. Um, Brendan, thank you for uh, giving up some of your Friday evening to talk with us about this movie. Oh, thank you guys for having me again. And Corey, uh, I'm you. sorry that you had to suffer through something you didn't enjoy. <laughs> I never put this down, just so everybody knows. Well, if if you lose, Corey, and you will lose, <gasps> who knows? Maybe we'll be watching Synecdoche, New York, one more time, um, or. Rubber. I haven't decided. There's all I'll sorts fly. of movies. Um, I just I have to start thinking. Like Sharknado two. Who knows? Oh wait, Sharknado three. They're in space. 
you know, the options are unlimited. So I really hope I win. Um, with that, we'll be back. Uh, we will be uh, top five movies will be coming out Wednesday this week. Um, be on the lookout for that. I'm, we don't usually announce the topic. And honest to God, I have no idea what the topic is. I need to make my list. So, <laughs> but um, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Peace. Bye. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs>